tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning. Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. And Ali is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, the effort, the effect even, of the refugee crisis on the future of tourism. Uh, we have an update from the Tipperary family who were forced to, to live in a tent. It's World Vegan Day. Should we be trying to make the most uh, of our diet and possibly move towards veganism? Uh, scientists find people's brains age quicker in parents who have sons. We think we own it. A Journey Towards Sustainability is a brand new book. We'll be speaking to the author. Our agony aunt, Phil Prendergast, is with us. And how accurate are star signs? So all of that and much, much more on the way. Just a couple of things to bring to your attention before we kick off. Um, people who burn... Excessive amounts of turf could face two years in jail under new regulations that came into force yesterday and local authorities will be tasked uh, with ensuring that those using turf to heat their homes are not creating a significant level of pollution and causing a nuisance to their neighbours. And anybody who breaks the law risks a two-year jail term or a €13,000 fine. So we wonder what you think about that and how in the name of God it could possibly be policed when you think about it. Also something else for you to to ponder um, particularly with our conversations over the last few weeks um, about the need for extra policing because of crime in rural Ireland. Just reading today that just over 90 Garda recruits will be taken on for the whole of 2022 and that's according to the Justice Minister herself it marks a 75% collapse on numbers achieved in 2021 when 385 uh, people entered the college in Templemore and compares to a target of 800 recruits for 2022. Let me just repeat that to you. Just 90 Garda recruits will be taken out for the whole of this year. 1800-938-007 to speak to Ali. You can text in WhatsApp 83 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, Christy joins me now. Christy, good morning to you. Brian, how are you keeping? I'm very well indeed, Christy, and great to talk to you today. You made contact with us because you were annoyed at the line of questioning directed at Tipperary TD Matthew McGrath on the Tonight Show on Virgin last week. If you don't mind, if I can just indulge you for a moment with a few seconds of that, Christy. We can only do so much, and we're doing a lot, and, and the public have been wonderful here, and the people opened their homes, and there's not a repeal to them, and they will, I'm sure, as I always did. But we just can't have... Or in this, we just can't say there's no insight for it. We're a country, and unless I mentioned European policy or, or Philip, yes, this is the problem with European policy. We're, we're welded to European policies, and we seem to be the best at engaging and doing whatever Europe say, and as Taoiseach certainly is, and others. Would, and would, I, would you I, I have considered bringing in a family yourself? Sorry? Would you have considered bringing in a family no, yourself? I, we, we have a large family ourselves. There's six, there's six of us in the house at the moment, so I, I have families that are in and places, mm. and, and I want to be as welcome and help, and we've had. And that's Matty McGrath from the Tonight Show on Virgin last week. Christy, why do you have a problem with it? Well, I don't have a problem with it, Fran, but I, to be fair, in the interest of justice, mm. 
Um, I mean, the first question I would ask is where, where all the panelists uh, had their family in? And, and I, were they? You saw the programme. I don't think I, they were. I, I saw it, and, and, and for what I saw of it, no. Mm. Mm. The other point is, I, am, I, I would have no doubt that lady, uh, the interviewer, uh, uh, she would have uh, checked, I'm sure, whether Matty McGrath would have had um, family taken in. Mm. And I think it's very... You're getting into a um, personalised situation by asking somebody have your family in, and that man, Matty McGrath, was forced, in my opinion, mm. he's a very experienced campaigner, mm-hmm. to outline why he hadn't a family. And to justify it in some way by, yes, by uh, six I, people I, in I, the house. I, I, he was doorstepped in so far as I think, I think that it was inappropriate. Mm. I think it was a form of bullying, that's what I would call it. And I, I felt, uh, I know nothing about... I know, I look, I, I've been nearly 50 years dealing with people, mm. but I just thought that uh, maybe he was an easy target and maybe my people might feel sorry for him, right? In media and terms, I, they call that a kind of a gotcha moment, you know, where they they hit you with something like that. Um, so. Well, you see, the, it's all to hit, but you're talking about a very sensitive situation. Yeah. I mean, I spend all my life trying to help people out and I would I would have nobody living in the house with me because I'm too eccentric. <laughs> but I'd be honest yes. with you. I I prefer to, I'd, if 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 I got a choice, I'd give them the house. I'd live in the car rather than live with people because you know uh, the Waltons and the little house in the prairie and all these things they don't they don't exist in real life. Yes. Yeah. And, I, and, I, I, I'd be similar to you uh, myself. I wouldn't be very good with with, with people, but uh, there you are. If you, now, can I refer to your experience if you don't mind, Christy? You you were a Garda for many years, weren't you? I was. Yeah. I actually walked down your way, down in your way back in the 70s. Did you? Did you? So you, did, know, yeah. you know Tipperary very well then. It, I do. I, I was, I, my only claim to fame in Tipperary was that Devna Fran Chalice was found in Ballinure when I was there. Was it indeed? Yes. And, and were you on duty at the time? Did you? Well, I was knocking around there anywhere, but a guard the spokesman, Frank, could say nothing because I was the only guard in the place. Right. You know? Right. And I, I cut my teeth in lots of things there because um, there was there was lots of land disputes and stuff going on there, and it kind of shaped my life after retiring because um, I've done loads of different things since I retired, and common sense is quite scarce, and I'm quite busy. Isn't it indeed? Um, to get back to the TV show, do you think the is this the direction the media has gone in over the last uh, twenty years or so? Do you think? Well, well, I'm going to be very forthright about this now. I think if the roles were reversed and there was a male interviewer uh, and it was said to a lady, and I spend a life in every aspect of life mm. out, I think it would have been more furore about it. And I just think Matthew McGrath couldn't defend himself, but I just think he was put in a very awkward position, and so was his family. I mean, h- how many people live in my house who are my family? It's my business. It's nobody else's business. And to try and justify why you had the family in, you, you had to resort, to, to my opinion, uh, giving out information which was not appropriate or uh, didn't matter to anybody else, only the family. And if they argued back with you and said, well, look, it was appropriate and in line with the conversation that was going on in some way, Christy, would that hold any water for you? Well, you see, uh, Fran, I worked in, in Portlease Prison in the Border way back in the 70s. Yeah. And there was people inside there. You, one can justify anything, Fran. Mm. 
there's no point in, you know, one can justify anything, but I'm only making a point. I don't know anything about Matthew McGrath. I just casually, I, it just annoyed me a bit, and I just, I actually listen to your programme up and down. I find it very entertaining, Thank to be honest, which I find, and, and um, I, I, I'm a bit of a station hopper, but, because um, I'm always looking for a bit of excitement in life. <laughs> but I, I just, I, I just found that, I'll be honest with you, I, Look, I didn't go looking for was there any reaction to it, but from where I was coming from myself, I mm. just thought it was in bad taste, and I thought it was, um, you know, it. it, it, it I, I mean, I thought it was premeditated, mm. and and I just thought, you know, this is on me now thinking, and of course, all one has is an opinion, mm. but I do think definitely is is some people think that it's all right to not be very nice to some people. Why, I don't know, because, I, I mean, I think Matthew McGrath is a lot braver than most people with his views, because he has a view, and a lot of people who are in public life don't seem to have any view, or could contribute nothing to only ducking and diving and under the umbrella of, of a, a party or something, you know? But, and is it not an easy target in, in a lot of the media? I mean, Matty and the Healy Rays, for example, seem to be lampooned more than anybody else in, in the Doyle about, about their views and maybe about how they express their views as well. Well, you see, you're using the word, but at least they express their views. Yes. You know, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I find that, um, look, I don't know anything about politics, but I do know a small bit about people. Yeah. And I do know that, um, that Matthew McGrath and, um, and Eugene Reyes and those people, they appear to care about their communities. You know? And and that to me would would uh, tick a box with me because it, I I've always um, I spent three years in the housing estates in Limerick after retiring I I lived, I lived and worked in Bordeaux and I I was always involved in visiting old people breaking traffic mm-hmm. uh, you know after funerals and we sat in the neighbourhood watched there putting locks and chains and bolts for old people and all that kind of stuff so I I would know a small bit about uh, how school pump politics as it's perceived would work. Mm-hmm. Right, because to be honest with you, you know, the, the only thing when never judge anyone by is what did they do for me? You know, in times of when you needed something done. So, so I know I'm, I'm rambling on a bit, but I, I'm making a point that. Yeah, of course, um, yeah. I'm making a point that, uh, like, if Matty McGrath didn't represent Tipperary well, I'm sure he would have long gone been booted out, out, out of out of politics and out of the door. Of course. Now, I'm sure all of our other public representatives are screaming at the radio and saying, we, we represent our constituents extremely well, uh, too. But, of course, if you're a party member, um, it's a different ballgame in that, you know, you're controlled by the whip, I suppose, to some degree, and maybe you can't be as outspoken as an independent uh, TD. Is is that fair speak, do you think, Chris? Well, you see, to be honest with you, I suppose I'm in a privileged position of not knowing Matthew McGrath. Yes. Right? Mm. Uh, and I came on uh, with regard to uh, that it's very hard for Matthew McGrath to defend himself and maybe the people of Tipperary. I'm a West Cork man originally from mm. Union Hall. And and um, I came on because I just felt that, uh, in the interest of fairness and justice, that that uh, I just thought uh, the way he was dealt with, he 
was he was discriminated against for want of a better word because if you ask one question one size picks all in that situation and I think she should have asked the, the other three people and should she should have also been asked herself has she any people staying with her Ukrainians it would have been interesting to see <laughs> What was said then? Yeah, it would have been interesting if if Matty turned that around, wouldn't it? Well, you see, everything is relative, you know, afterwards. If Matty turned it around, that would be the story. It would, but it might be seen as being uh, inappropriate, I suppose. I, I, that's exactly what I'm saying to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's see, would have see where you're coming from, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting, all right. Um, do, do, I mean, it's something I complain about all the time. We try and give everybody a platform here at some stage or other, even though I'm accused of not. But anyway, but um, but it seems to me that there's a single narrative uh, being appreciated all of the time. And if you disagree with that in any way, you're branded as being racist or homophobic or you know. Do you, do you notice that, Christy? Well, give me an example, Frank. I, I, well, I, I suppose the big one was COVID. I mean, you yes. know, we, many times here we had all the right people on and giving good advice about vaccination and all of that. But we also gave a platform to people who disagreed with that and picked holes in it, one thing or another. And we were, we got a lot of hassle over that, to be honest with you, along the way. No, I, I know where you're coming from. But, you know, and in life, I, I lived and worked. Uh, in in the town, which which you couldn't do today with social media, not could you raise a family? But you know, I kind of um, it's it's a, it's it's not easy to do juggling, dealing with with uh, crime and different things, mm. and living in an area. You know, yes. And I suppose freedom of speech is great, and the ability to to uh, not. Uh, discard someone's, somebody's opinion. On a personal note, you talk about COVID and that, I don't mind what anybody can say about it, mm. as long as they don't as long as they don't come too close to me physically. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I think it's great to give a platform because if you don't give a platform, I think it creates a lot more unrest. And then you're... you're um, you're not happy with probably the clientele that's coming on because they feel they can't get on and all that kind of stuff. But I think, man, you know something? You'll never, t- you'll, you'll never satisfy everybody. And if you're trying to satisfy everybody, you certainly will satisfy a lot less. You're absolutely right indeed. With your experience before I let you go, Christy, can I ask you about just what I spoke about at the top of the programme there? Just over 90 Garda recruits taken taken on now for the whole of 2022 and our conversation over the last few weeks, a lot of it about rural crime and people being afraid in their homes and one thing or another. As a former Garda, are you disappointed with those kind of numbers? Fran, I'll be honest with you, I, I'll answer it in a funny kind of way, right? Hmm. Is I think the loss of the guard living among the community is immense. It is Absolute. I mean, even for look under my watch, it was an insult to me to see a young lad get into trouble. You you and felt I, responsible in some way, almost. Absolutely. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I actually had more uh, uh, interaction. Um, I had more interaction uh, when I was off duty than when I was on duty. And and I, I was in a pub there lately, a few pints, and I remember. A couple of lads said to me, God, you're, you're, you're in very good form. When we were growing up, we were very cross. Mm. And I said, did any of these pricks get into trouble, though? 
Excuse my language no, now. Yeah, yeah. That was the interaction, right? Yeah. But so, t- t- look, I don't know, Fran, because I, I'm, look, I'm retired 18 years. I retired at 50. Mm. And, and uh, I, I, you know, I think, I, I go back, I think for a bit of guidance and, you know, going to the schools, advising the kids, being a part of their life. I mean, I found, going back to Limerick, I set up community houses there and I lived in houses there and I knew that in there and we took horses out of houses, we took horses out of estates. Mm-hmm. We involved the vets with the young lads helping to understand horses. We got fees for the horses. But, you know, yeah. I think there's a whole lot of, you know, to be honest with you, I think a lot of of the uh, guard time just falls into a black hole. I just think there's the transparency, you know what I mean? It's mm. that, it, it, you know, it just falls into... I think the system is totally flawed. Do you? I do, yeah, I do, relative to transparency. I mean, when I live now a lot of the time, honestly, the only farm is a traffic ward. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you, I probably know more about what's going on in the town than, than anyone else because I knock around there. I've been known to have an old bet. I've been known to have a pint. Mm. I, I'm a, we, my wife must have a gold regular for coffee. I meet friends around. And, and, you know, like, I go back to a days of pre-CCTV, Fran, when you're given a file and you're given um, a crime to solve. Mm. And you've got to do the heavy lifting and you've got to have context and you've got to do, you know, put it this way to you, it, 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 you certainly wouldn't be lazy. You know, CCD, CCTV can make people lazy. It's a very interesting piece of insight into what's what's going on. And you, is that, I mean, if you were to do a fix on what's been happening, are you saying go back into the communities, back into the villages, back into the, the local stations, all of that? Well, you see, Fran, I, I mean, I retired from a village called Coachford outside Coxley. I know it well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, most beautiful people that you ever work with, and there was a lot of sadness there too, mm. right? But I, I, I love going back there. I, I just think, you know, I, there's nobody there I don't want to see again. You know. Yeah. And and I, I just find that model work with me because that's look. All I ever had to offer was a bit of kindness and a bit of good nature from West Cork, friend. You know, I don't. I, I, I had nothing else to offer. I didn't have to put on. And that, I mean, look, there's no such thing as a community police. When I spoke to Jerry Ryan, God rest his soul, years ago, and I said, you know, that community policemen are women. Should be, it should be a natural. You, you pick on who is suitable. Yes. You don't send somebody into a village who's going to persecute the people. You, you, you create, you, 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 build, you can't buy respect, but you sure can earn it. And, and the people have to earn it, and uh, so does the guard. And, and everybody's an individual, but that type of policing suited me. Uh, and I, I understand that it shouldn't suit other people, and I understand that I have loads of... I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't pick this up as a role model in any way as a policeman, but, you know, visiting... Like, when, when my wife and kids were here, and my wife put, were watching, we say, Connie's a three of those. I used to go off visiting old people. Did you? Uh, yeah, yeah, and and my kids used to during school breaks. They would go and call to see the kids during the during the day. 
And I remember a very interesting story, actually, uh, about one particular lady, Terry, Terry Dark, which is a beautiful lady. Mm. And I remember um, she had gone blind. And she said to me, Christy, she said, have you still that lovely head of hair and you're still cycling? And I said, Terry, I'm in there, look where you're blind. <laughs> oh, it's a lovely story. <laughs> Chrissy, it was great to talk to you today. Great. And you, Fern, as well. Great, great you know, insight as well. We, we, might, we might inter-exchange again and uh, keep up the good work. But don't ever be afraid to do what you're doing because I'll be honest with you, I think the one reason I'm ringing you is I think you do a very good job because you let people voice their opinions. And you know, Fern, at the end of the day, all we all have is opinions. We mightn't agree with one another, but we could agree to differ as well. Absolutely. But my barometer would be is... Uh, that Alison Lady are yourself. I'm sure we could sup ale together. We could sup ale together, indeed we could. A lovely way to put it too. Christy, look after yourself and thank you very Best much. Best of luck, Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Gina. That's Christy speaking to us this morning. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is only at 3 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. Big reaction to uh, Christy on the programme uh, this morning, just to bring you a little of it. Uh, Michael was on to say the man is a hive of information. Bring him back again down the line, Fran, uh, even on the panel or anything. Very, very interesting man. Uh, we're also hearing from another listener to say that Christy, very interesting to listen to this morning and absolutely uh, spoke sense. And this listener also going on to say that RT and TV3 assumed that uh, TDs like Matthew McGrath, the Healy Raids, etc., are soft touch targets because they are independent and rural. TD, somebody else saying, good man uh, Christy. Patrick was on to say that is so correct, we need to see Gardy on our streets, not CCTV cameras uh, bring back that Garda presence um, uh, Councillor Richie Malloy on to us as well, uh, good morning to you Richie say, excellent interview with uh, Christy, a personal uh, finally, with a lot of common sense Thomas uh, didn't fully agree with uh, Christie's um, attitude to Matty McGrath's interview on uh, uh, Virgin. Uh, Thomas says, what a load of bull. It was a question that many public reps have been asked. And, uh, OK, lots, lots more onto us as well, and we'll put it together and bring it to you in just a few moments' time. We spoke to Graham King a few weeks ago, and he was telling us about the desperate situation he found himself in, being homeless, himself and his wife, and two children forced to sleep in a tent after finding themselves unable to secure any rental property across North Tip, even into the counties Clare and Limerick. And Graeme uh, joins me now with an update. Good morning to you, Graeme. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you today. Um, since we last spoke, what is the position now with yourself and your family, Graeme? Um, we, we spent uh, 54 days in the tent, and um, I ended up, on, on RTE uh, questioning the housing minister on some stuff and um, 
we ended up in emergency accommodation in Cashel. Now, it's not the best, but at the end of the day, beggars can't be choosers. It's, it's, look, it's better than a tent. So, right, but, uh, but your home area is Nina, is it not? It is, yeah. So there now, now is, you're, you're a long way from Nina. A long way from Nina. The, um, the, the schools are mainly the, um, the biggest possible, where even, I know it sounds bad, but even in the tents, we were about 15 to 20 minutes away from the school, but we're an hour and 10 minutes away now, so that it's a, it's a huge drain on the, uh, on the petrol tank. And have so, you to drive them to, to school then, is that it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it means getting them ready at six in the morning and um, uh, whatnot to have them in school for half eight. Right, and and what do you mind my asking? What kind of accommodation you have in the hostel? Fran, uh, I'm living in a hostel. No, look, hostels is hostels, though they're not meant for long term emergency accommodation, mm. which I'm sure I'm actually going to end up in uh, because. Rentals in Tipperary are very hard to come by. The family, um, they prefer uh, working professionals really in the houses um, because they just they get more uh, income from the house uh, as, as landlords. But I know um, I'm, I'm going to be in this long term, and it, it's not ideal because the hostels are only ever short term um and it's it's important to point out graham that that yourself and your family you're the new homeless in some ways in that if you got some place with a reasonable rent you could afford it oh yeah 100 percent. we have uh, like we have a deposit waiting to go um rent isn't the problem within our price range um but the only um the only issue is we have now is we're handing over 130 euro a week for um, something, um, a room that's basically uh, smaller than the prison cell. Uh, it's got two sets of bunk beds in it and absolutely no privacy. And um, as per council regulations, uh, my, ele- my nearly 11-year-old boy and 10-year-old girl are not supposed to be in the same room as each other, um, let alone parents there's, a, there's absolutely no privacy but like i say beggars can't be choosers so right. we and, have to live with what we have and that is the nature as you say of hostel uh, accommodation yeah. it's nothing to do with the hostel in question or anything no, that's just just the way it is the yeah um how talk to me a little bit about the future then i mean are you going to be long term in situations that are similar to what you have at the moment i i've talked to people um that have been in emergency accommodation in Tipperary, and it's always been long-term. Um, a lot of them said two and a half years. In fact, two and a half years is the minimum. Or they were in B&Bs, hotels. Uh, they weren't in hostels. Um, so, you know, there was some privacy uh, accorded to them. But there's very little. I mean, even the, the kitchen and the living room uh, in the hostel, like, I mean, it's a constant stream of different people every week like so I mean it's not like we can let the kids out much because number one they're autistic and number two um, you just you just you don't know what's in the hostel you know it's not like people are vetted going into hostels so you know you just 
you learn to just live in your room and entertain them whatever way you can. Now, my knowledge of autism is that what is really required is some sort of a, a, a setup where it's the same all the time, is that there's a familiarity with the way... Routine, friend, yeah. R- routine and all of that. Uh, I presume it's very difficult to have that in a hostel uh, situation. A uh, lot of tension. Um, a lot of tension. I mean, look, I'll go back to the tent lights. <laughs> Even in the tent, there was two bedrooms. Uh the kids could have privacy, you know what I mean? They could go off and do their own thing, but you're very much in an urban setting now. You can't just let them out the door and do what they want. Um, And again, with the constant stream of of different faces in in a hospital, you just, you can't let them out around it either. So basically it's a lot, it's tension and basically just going back to electronics, which was something that I, I, really didn't want to get them into too much, like just uh, give it to them now and again, but it's 24-7 now, unfortunately, because... Um, what, it keeps them occupied, It, it keeps them occupied, way, basically, yeah. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I, I just see on the screen in front of me, and in fact, after you spoke to me last time, we had a lot of similar uh, correspondence with us. A caller um, in this case, in the in the single case, uh, speaking about you being recently on holiday in Spain. Is that? Yeah, um, we, we, myself and my wife were married ten years, and we had a holiday booked. Now this was before we were homeless, or we even knew we were going to be. Mm. So, um, we we just we went on that holiday. We did an awful lot less than we had planned, and it was basically just to get the kids out of the tent mm. for five days mm. and uh, just and that was pre them, that was them. pre-booked you it had. was pre-booked yeah there was um uh, there was there was nothing uh, yeah. we saw coming down the line that was going to stop us yeah are you are you surprised to see that quite a few text and correspondence with us this morning is making reference to that are you look I mean, at the end of the day, like it's like we said, there, there's there's a new homeless. I mean, number one, two incomes, um, and at the end of the day, you never know when you're going to be homeless. Uh, that that's a common occurrence. You just don't know. Uh, you you could be homeless tomorrow for no fault of your own. And. and and what what about I mean can you continue to by, by the way are you do you still have to go and stay in the car every so often I know you have severe yeah, I, back um, issues I, I have back I can't sleep in a bunk bed it's not I gave we gave it a go um, and it, it's it's impossible um, so I, I do one of two things I either if if the kids are getting a bit rambunctious with each other kind of just. I, what I'll do is I will I will sleep sitting on the floor of of the hospital, and other than that I will uh, just sleep in the car where needed. So it it, it hasn't changed what I do at all, um, really. But what do, what do you think of the state of a country that would have a family like yours in the situation that you're in? Um. Look, times change. Um, like I said, we're homeless through no fault of our own, but the social housing just isn't there. And not that not that I'm entitled to social housing, but it, it's more what private landlords perceive 
as as a decent tenant more than anything else. Um, that that's my main gripe is that they should really house homeless families where needed rather than um, max out the the the, um, the rent. The, the fact that you have two children with autism, does that play a part at all in the difficulty of getting getting accommodation? Um, it does, because a lot of people don't understand about um, autism, special needs, anything like that. Um, they like to think they do, but they don't. Um, and that, that can, it can hinder yeah. uh, a lot of... Um, decisions the landlord would make as regards to giving me property. But that's why I don't mention it when I go to viewing. So I don't even say I'm homeless. I, I you know, which I still technically think I am. Uh, I, I just go viewing the house like any normal person, no stories. And when they ask, I'll tell them. But I won't say the kids are special needs or anything like that. I'll just tell them I have two kids that are going to school, basically. It's interesting. A listener was on to try and help you out by saying that there's a bus going, in fact, from Thurles to Nina every morning, but that's no good to you with, Not with, with, with the kids. kids no. yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's... Um, I presume they couldn't go unsupervised on the bus, could they? No, no, they, they, they would need uh, a bus uh, route that would... Or a, a bus that would be actually going to the school itself and, you know, and have the route there, but that's again, that, that's it's still get. It's not look. It's not casual. I mean, so going to Torlis is still to drive to Torlis to get them in. So yes. yeah. why not just go the extra? Yes. Yeah. Two and miles, and you'd be able to look after them then as well. Yeah, that's well, it. Graeme, if you don't mind, we'll check in with you every so often and see how, how, too, yeah. how you're doing. But my best to you and your family anyway. And thanks for talking Thank to you. me this morning. Thank you. Bye bye to you. And that's uh, Graham, uh, who first spoke to us from a tent that he was living in in Dina. He now has hostel accommodation in uh, Cashel. Himself and his wife and uh, two children that uh, have autism. 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. don't often agree with uh, Fintan O'Toole in the Irish Times, but it's an interesting piece uh, today in the Times where he says that homeless people, that is Irish homeless people, should be treated as refugees. And he makes the point that the two-tier idea... Uh, which is what we have of what constitutes a crisis is morally, socially and politically untenable. And he says it's wrong in itself, but, and here's the important one, it also is the perfect way to breed resentment. And that certainly is what it's doing. So it's an interesting way to think about it, isn't it? Homeless people should be treated as refugees. Now, last Friday, Trim in County Meath was announced as Ireland's tidiest town for 2022. But there was elation in care because the town was named as the overall winner of the Young Persons in the Tidy Towns Award and also the overall winner of the Super Value As I Am Inclusive Communities Award. Great news for care and well done to everybody there for the hard work that they do, which has certainly paid off with the ever-growing popularity of Inchfield there and uh, the River Walk. Well, our reporter, Alison Highland, recently spoke to Eamon de Stafford 
a silver man's historian and former judge in the tidy towns for many years. He was part of our Walks and Talks series earlier on this year, but he spoke to Ali and John G about how the Tidy Towns competition has evolved over the years. I know you've been heavily involved in Tidy Towns down through the years and it's something that's really evolved over the years. I think initially yeah. it would have been, litter would have been maybe the, the focal point of it, but it, it's yeah. it's evolved so much from then. What are some of the main changes you've seen from when you oh, first got the involved? the changes in straight away, let me say, Tidy Towns is the environmental miracle of our area and our started as a, a common probably as somebody said concerned about the place being clean and in preparation for the influx of maybe we were getting 500,000 um, Americans at the time and maybe less than ha- that the same number maybe for British from from the British we said we should really do something to tidy up the place and, and over 60 years ago over 60 years ago, 1958, um, Tidy Hounds was founded by Board Foyster. And since it has proved exceptional. But about 20 years ago then, and I was one of the sceptics, about 20 years ago then, it was transferred to the Department of the Environment, you know. So I was thinking, I, was, oh, I don't know, how they count What were you sceptical about? About the uh, inactivity of, of maybe what was going to happen with county councils. Okay. That they'd have enough on their plate, you know. It was going to be handed over to the local uh, And that, yeah. well, they wouldn't be giving it a priority. And the opposite has happened now. And um, <clears throat> Brendan Howland was one of the great stalwarts. He was a Labour minister some, some years ago. And uh, they set up a certain section within the, the Department of the Environment. And the team there now, based in Ballina, is superb. Mm. And we're now talking about, you know, biology and approach roads. And uh, before it was just litter. And uh, and you know who was getting all the credit for, credit for it at that oh. time? But worse still, they were also getting the expectation that they might do the work. The ICA... Because they were taking a wonderful interest in it. God forbid. And now today, and Tipperary has a wonderful way. My, dare I say it, my happiest day when I was working with the Anton Floral was when we went to Bird Hill and uh, great jubilation. And I said, Bird Hill, how am I going to, gee, how am I, how am I going to generate excitement here? So I said, well, hold on, I said, no, we'll bring the jury in by train from Nina to Bird Hill, which oh. still has a station. And we got local piper to pipe us up from the station up to the village. There are only two shop villages in Bird Hill. You really put on a show. And Bird Hill got, won a gold medal, as well as Killarney. Here we were now, side by side with Killarney. And it which was one of my proudest days, I must say. And <laughs> um, some years ago, Emily won a silver medal, yeah. and um, we've had several, several winners since, which is great. So, anyhow, t- Tidy Towns on its own, it's a massive, beneficial and really um, exciting programme. Uh, and it extends to rich and poor, mm. small vi- villages, large villages and towns, and even cities now. Cities like Limerick and Waterford and Kilkenny. Kilkenny is a former national winner. 
So it's really a success story that we can all be delighted with and very proud of. And very reliant on people getting involved in it as Absolutely. well. Are you seeing that? Uh, uh, oh, listen, actually, the communities. I have witnessed communities travelling 100 miles to collect an A by 4 cert of their, on their own pocket because they're so proud to be with it. And it, it permeates every village, every village. We have yeah. over 800 entries, imagine, all voluntary, over 800 entries this year. So in terms of tidy towns, and the other thing is, I haven't found that across Europe. I've been judging <coughs> 11 countries now for over nearly 16 years, and I've, I've never witnessed the community endeavour of Ireland. That's fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's just whatever it Well, I think is. one of the things is here, what I'm amazed at, I don't know much about Paddy Thompson, I'm amazed at this, is I think there's only two things. One is if your local parish yeah. won the All-Ireland Club in hurling our football, you'd yeah. get un, you know, uncontrolled jubilation. And the yeah. only jubilation I've ever seen like that is mm. when a community celebrates after winning the tidiest town in Ireland. Yeah, it's un, it is. Un, yeah. It's, you know, yeah. unrestrained. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, a winner all the way. And it so transcends sport. It's a whole community celebration. All age groups, yeah. all socioeconomic groups, all professions extending, and it's wonderful to, to people see them out in their own time, mm. you know. Uh, and uh, hopefully it will, it will strengthen even, you know. To, it, will, it, it will improve. But even now, things that worried us, like going into old villages and you're met with old bicycles up on top of a shed because yeah. they're disused, things like that. And we used to have hang-ups, terrible hang-ups about litter. And we don't, we don't have that now. Yeah. Now, I know Dublin comes under fierce complaints, you know, yeah. in, in, in terms of it. But that's, that's the city. But um, you take Kilkenny now, another city. Oh, it's a pleasure to go to Kilkenny. Yeah. A pleasure. And, and you spent uh, many years as a judge. What would be your, your thing? The thing, yeah. the number one thing for you that you're looking out for if you're judging? To, to, I, well, I know the most important thing now at this level, at this level, is for, and which I would like to see, is for every village to have a plan coupled with a vision. Yeah. Don't have 10 people turning out to do tighty hours work unless you have work for them, because the following week you'll have five and the following week you'll have, you'll have three. So planning is imperative. And have a vision for your own, for your own place. That, that's all. We could sum up by saying have, have, have um, conviction and um, support for your own place. And that's Eamon the Stafford speaking to our own Ali there. Now the incitement to violence or hatred and hate offences bill was published last Friday. It includes a number of key changes since the general scheme was published last April. Now the bill will criminalise any intentional or reckless communication or behaviour that is likely to incite violence or hatred against a person or persons because they are associated with a protected characteristic. We'll talk about that uh, term in just a little while as well. The penalty for this offence will be up to five years imprisonment. And joining me now is uh, John. John, good morning to you. Morning, Frank. Uh, really good to talk to you today, John. I know yep. you have some concerns about this, Bill. What what are they? I have, because um, I think uh, it's quite possible I mean, that the intention behind this might be to shut down freedom of speech, freedom of expression, 
You know, nobody wants people going around inciting hatement. And we had a bill already, a 1989 bill, and there was only, I think, 50 prosecutions in 30 years. That's right. And uh, it's very hard to prove, you see, that's the problem. That's why the prosecutions, uh, I said, were only 50. Now, um, what I don't like about it is the fact that... Um, the hate element, no, uh, there'll be a higher penalty if that can be proved and you'll actually get a longer term uh, incarceration in jail. And, uh, like, if somebody attacks me, I mean, they'll get a lesser sentence, but if somebody can be proved that the person of colour was attacked with intent or their gender, if they were attacked over that, um, they will get a longer sentence. Yes, because so, obviously to attack somebody is a criminal act anyway, but if they're course, yeah. they're attacked as part of what is termed then a hate crime, they, they will spend longer in prison, you're right. Yeah, well, I don't agree with that, because for the simple reason a crime is a crime is a crime, and assault is an assault is an assault. So, like, I mean, why should they be a picking order? I mean, if the, the laws administered properly, like, I mean, you had Christian earlier on there, I mean, and Buttigardi, the whole lot, I mean... There's only 95 or uh, 90 new guards coming on stream. Mm-hmm. There's 300. I mean, uh, retiring every year. So I just, uh, where's me never catch up? And then they come up with this, to me, uh, diversion. That's the only way I can describe it. I think it's um, divisive. I think um, it's, uh, I mentioned the, the hate part and how you get a, a extra time behind bars if it can be proved. But also the hate speech. I would just be worried about that, fan. How going forward, it would affect the like of protest. We'll say if you walk up to a politician like Michal Martin, we'll say it's going through town. Somebody walks up to him and says, I believe that you're a disgrace to the Irish people, you're a traitor to the Irish people, you're not looking after the Irish people. Can that be put down as hate speech? Can you have something on a poster outside the politician's office? Can, can that be... Uh, put down as being uh, hate speech. I would be worried. Yeah, my reading of it so far, you might disagree with me on this, but it seems to all revolve around intent. Like, if if there's not intent to... um, in in what you're saying to be hate speech... um, Yeah, but you see, who's going to interpret... Well, that's uh, that's the point, isn't it? It's the policing of this. I I mightn't have the intent, but somebody else, like, I mean, in the legal side of it, like a judge... Right, I mean, or the DPP could find intent, even though there would be no intent there on my ha- behalf. Right. That's but, what I'd be worried about. But do you not think that that legislation from 1989 needed to be updated? Because, I mean, there was no mention of gender, disability, um, sex char- characteristics, as they're calling them now as well. N- none of that was included in the Act. So did it need to be updated, do you think? Well, when you have only 50 prosecutions, I mean, I, I just wonder, like, going forward again, Use that term. I mean, how many extra prosecutions will we get on the back of this new bill? Because again, as I say, it's hard to prove it. Fine, it's yeah. very hard to prove it. This is why the, the amount of the prosecutions are low. You can add in all the, the different amendments you can, and new amendments along the way. But will it really change? I just don't like the segregation, as I said. Of that, there's a higher picking order now in sentencing in court. If I get beaten up, like in a summer, gets beaten up because of a certain either the sexuality of their race or colour or whatever, that the perpetrator will do a longer spell in jail. That that that's infringing on my rights. Like I mean, to be dealt with fairly by the state. Do you take Minister McEntee's comment that she wants to assure us that they've worked hard to strike a balance in the bill in protecting the right to free speech? with the protection of the vulnerable and minority communities. Well, well. Yeah, well, you see, this is it. Like, but who's going to interpret this? That's the problem. Like, this is coming from a woman like, I mean, 
like let's be honest, like I know the Hashiabo you walk to the main thoroughfare of Cannon Street or Capital City, uh, which is now a wasteland with, with, with drugies and missiles and, and crime and whatever. The IFA are having meetings now because people are coming on their land and they're beating up the farmers and they feel under threat because the criminals know that the areas where there's no, either no guard station as it's closed or there's no guard mm. present in the area, friend. And the best thing, then they could put all this effort into this hate speech and hate crime and everything. While as I said, there's only 90 new guys coming on stream. The people in rural Ireland are not feeling So safe. are you saying that the Justice Minister would be better employed dealing with the issues that you're bringing up there? I think she'd be better off like the Chief Constable, or the Assistant Chief Constable in Manchester, the Greater Manchester area across the water. Actually brought in his police and with the last 12 to 18 months they have transformed the police and they've gone back to old-style policing, bodies on the streets. He was fed up, he said, that people coming in making complaints about race, or someone passed a remark about this, and they wanted us investigators. That was wasting a colossal amount of police time. It was infringing on what should be the normal duties of a police person, right? And he brought them together, fine, and he said, get out there. He said, I have no time for this workness anymore. Get out there and do the proper policing. He said, bring people before the courts that deserve to be brought before the courts to keep the public safe. Yes. And that's what we need to do here. Well, John, you can't ignore the fact that there is discrimination out there and there is hate speech going on out there. So you can't well, ignore is, that, that I mean, either. I mean... I mean are we going to have, next thing are we going to have a thought, a thought like obviously if somebody is, is totally inflammatory and gets into somebody's mm-hmm. face yeah. or, or targets somebody's home just because of their sexuality right. their you, race, you're not their talking religion. about that You, you that is a crime isn't it that is a crime yes. and I'm afraid of like as I said like, I don't see why they should be higher picking on the like I answer as I said that, that I, I would be worried about uh, freedom of speech going forward like I mean on the back of this yeah well if somebody attacks an old person I would rate that as a hate crime well, I mean, to me, that's criminality, just straight across the board. I mean, like, in, in, a, a crime is a crime is a crime, yeah. and the sergeant and sergeant and the sergeant. I mean, I mean, how many times do you have to look at it? If somebody's broken into, I mean, a little person, or if somebody's a sergeant on the streets, like, they should be dead for properly. She'd be better off if she addressed, as I said, recruiting more Gaudi, putting more bodies on the street, like, dealing with the court system, find that we all see the reports, you see them in your area, I see them in my area, right, where guys turn me up, with uh, con- uh, convictions, uh, they lift the board arms and their legs. Mm. You'd be saying, how did they ever get to this stage? Like, I, mean, I mean, addressing the sentencing in the court for serious crime that people should be going away for a long time and also implying social yeah. workers in deprived areas. But, but it's interesting, sorry to interrupt you, but it's interesting you make that point about, say, a pre- previous criminal record not being um, uh, admissible in court. But the, the new offences and this bill will allow for hate criminal labels to follow an offender into court. In other well, words... You, well, you it, see, that, 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 that to me is dangerous as well because, I mean, like, I mean, somebody will interpret that as hate. That will be the mark against you on the police system, like, I mean, on your record, even in your local guard station. They can look it up if you're stopped for speeding or to stop for renting, and they can see that me or you are done as uh, I've been convicted of hate mm-hmm. crime. And then, I mean, that guard will look at that and then he'll assess the situation... And I think, like, I mean, going forward again, as I said, use that term, I think it will, you know, the, the court system then will, will come into play and they'll be looking at an individual differently. Right. I mean, this is a guy, like, I mean, that uh, has been prosecuted for hate crime. I mean, even the word hate, you know, I mean, I just will be very, very worried about this going forward. All right, so I must leave it there, John, but thank you very much indeed for coming on with us today. News and information is coming up.
Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Pat, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Uh, 1800 938 007. That's our free phone number. Ali is at the far end of the phone. You can text in WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Uh, from next month, staff in hospitality businesses will have their tips protected under a new law to be introduced by the government. It's the Payment of Wages Act 2022 and will come into effect from December 1st, as far as I know. But uh, one caller to tip today is wondering if it will have any effect on earnings and could it be classed as additional income? If this is the case, it could have some serious implications for welfare payments, which are means-tested. And he says that this hasn't been clarified. Um, it's an interesting an interesting take on it, I'm sure you'll agree. Now, I don't know of any situation anywhere uh, where gratuities would be taxed in some way, but maybe it does need some uh, clarification. A new initiative will uh, see well over 150 Irish cafes and restaurants uh, celebrate Vegan Fair for World Vegan Day today. Uh, each outlet will offer at least one vegan special of the day, and many will continue to serve vegan options for all of November and possibly beyond. Now, the project is being driven by the group Full Irish Vegan, who want to encourage more people to sample the wide range of mouth-watering vegan cuisine that's on offer in Ireland. Well, Jerry Boland, uh, uh, who is also an animal rights activist, uh, joins me now. Jerry, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran, and thanks very much for having me on. You're, you're very welcome I- indeed. Um, are there many vegans in Ireland, many people taking up this option? Uh, well, Board Bia, um in March 2021 published... Um, a survey that they did in 18 European countries, oh, sorry, nine European countries with 18,000 people, and they concluded that 2% of Irish people were vegan at that stage. Now, I kind of felt, because I've got my ear to the ground, obviously, mm. I kind of felt that might have been an underestimation, but who am I to tell? But certainly 18 months later, I would say that figure has doubled. I would say there are 4 or 5% of people in Ireland at the moment are fully vegan, which would mean that there's between 200 and 250,000 people um, you know, seeking out vegan options. So Which that's why we're doing people, this. Yeah, that, yeah um, it's, it's a lot of people. The reasoning behind making that life choice, uh, Jerry, I, in your own case, I presume with your animal rights uh, background, is it because of cruelty to animals, as you might see it? Well, in my, I've been vegan for, for 30 years, vegetarian for 35. Um, and in all the people I've spoken to over the years, the vast majority of them gave up eating meat because of their concern about animals. I would say in the last two years, what's been really driving the vegan um, growth, which has been fairly exponential, to be honest, which uh, has been climate change, um, because people have realised now that the single most effective thing that any individual can do who is eating is a meat eater to reduce their carbon footprint is to just stop eating meat and go on a plant-based diet. So a lot of young people in particular, but not only young people, people who've been affected by the David Attenborough documentaries and everything, 
they have copped on to this fact. And so a lot of people now are switching. They might be, they might be doing it overnight. And that's what this day is about, really, is to kind of celebrate the food element of it. But they are doing it, and they're reducing their intake of meat. And then a lot of people, for ethical reasons, a lot of people are becoming completely vegan because the ethical nature of veganism is to, you know, it's it's a lifestyle which seeks to um, not impose any harm on any living being in as far as possible because we live in a world where it's impossible to rule it out completely. So um, I would say it's, it's kind of people are driven largely by compassion towards other animals and they've made the connection between pigs and dogs and they don't really want to, they don't want to be involved in that any longer. It strikes me, I'm, I'm not the most organised of people to be honest with you Jerry. but you'd have to be extraordinarily organised to be a vegan would you not? Well back in the day yes, nowadays probably not but you do, the one thing I found about it, I, I was I kind of liked my food when I was eating meat and I ate meat for 30 years but I wasn't a very good cook and I don't know if I was that interested in food to be honest with mm. you and what happened when I became vegetarian and then vegan is I became interested in food and so I think it is I would say it's an extraordinary leap, um, but I, 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 I'm not particularly in favour of, of going from, you know, a processed meat kind of diet to a processed vegan diet, and that is possible. You know, you can go into Tesco or any of the supermarkets now, and you can kind of fill up your trolley with vegan mm. processed food. Mm. I don't think that's the way to go. But, yeah, it's the way I eat, I eat a lot of whole foods, and, you know, there is a bit of preparation involved, but there's fantastic variety of food available and that's what this day is about you know with 176 mm. restaurants around the country because you um, you alluded to it there you you could probably be a very unhealthy uh, vegan person if you filled up with i don't know french fries and bread for example well if you're eating you know poor quality food no matter what diet you're on yes. you're not going to be healthy you know like you know so i'm not i'm not the kind of person who says you know for the sake of animals everyone give up eating meat and I don't care what you eat. I don't think that's the way to go because there are other issues. There are health issues. Mm. A good, well-balanced vegan diet is an extremely healthy diet. I can speak, you know, on, on my own behalf on that. Um, but it's also in terms of climate change and the carbon footprint and the environment. It's a much, and it's also a much more efficient way of producing food. So there's a lot of reasons to go vegan. Some people who are anti-vegan um, might say that, you know, the diet hasn't been tried and trusted for a long enough period of time for us to know whether long term it's it's a healthy option well you could say the same but we do know about you know people who eat a lot of meat and we know that there are definitely risks in relation to cholesterol heart conditions certain forms of cancer etc etc in relation to a heavy meat diet that's well established in multiple multiple studies all over the world and i would argue in relation to the vegan aspect of it there are multiple studies again that are available that um that would uh, conclude that a well-balanced vegan diet, you know, if, if you look up the, you know, uh, different dietary organisations in the UK, for instance, the NHS, for instance, has, has, a, has, a, has a, a piece in one of the reports basically saying that a well-balanced vegan diet provides all the nutrients that you need. And from that kind of research you're talking about, um, there's also that notion, though, that there's a 20% higher rate of stroke in vegan eaters as opposed to, to meat eaters. Mm. That's news to me. I haven't heard that one. Mm. Um, well, it's, I, it's, it's very widely put out there. Yeah, well, I don't think it's true, to be honest with you. Like, the, the one thing you do have to be careful about if you do become vegan is the um, is B12. Mm. Um, and because B12 is very hard to get on, you know, on a vegan diet. So I do take supplements of B12. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you can also get fortified. You know, you can get products fortified with B12, like milk, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so a lot of the vegan foods are now fortified with it. Um, but you know, I, 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 in my experience, that's not an issue in relation mm-hmm. to stroke. I, I would be more concerned about people on a meat diet getting a stroke mm-hmm. than people on a vegan diet. And how are you feeling in the last thirty years? I mean, are you feeling extremely well, for example? Well, like it's the best. It's probably the most positive thing I've ever done. From is it? Uh, yeah. To be honest with you, like it, from every, from every point of view. Like, you know, from a clear conscience point of view, that's been huge. But from a health point of view, almost from, well, not from day one, but, you know, uh, like I'm, you know, I'm in, in mid, my mid-60s now. I'm extremely healthy. I go hill walking. I climb Ben Bolton once a month with a gang of pals. Um, and I, yeah, I'm I'm alert. And I'm, like, I don't know what I would have been like if I hadn't become vegan. You but know, you're not lacking vegan. in energy or anything? Oh, definitely because, not. No, no okay. like far from us. In fact, you know, the, you know, some of the, greatest athletes and you know performers in the world now are vegan do you know what I mean so mm. um, so like th- th- there's no evidence really suggest that becoming a vegan is going to kind of make you weak but what I would say just to repeat the point is that it's very easy just to give up eating meat and then just go in and buy fast food you know right. to, to your process, and that is not the way that's, to go that's not the way to go did it have a, an effect on, you, on your, your mental health uh, when you when you went vegan by the way well I I can't answer that honestly, Fran, because what I did was I was drinking at the time and I was also smoking, and I kind of gave up the whole lot of it ah, the one right, time. Okay. So um, I do know that like a month later, I felt infinitely better than I felt a month earlier, right. and I couldn't right. entirely put it down to the diet. Right. You, um, you really had a road to Damascus 30 years ago, didn't you? Well, I was on a slippery slope, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I just had to do something about it. And, um, the, like, you know, I, I've... I actually stayed off the drink, but and I stayed off the cigarettes. And um, a lot of people okay. assumed I'd go back on eating meat because I come from a meat-eating background, a meat-eating family, and all my siblings are, you know, they haven't gone down my road. Mm. Um, they're the last people who I'm probably going to convince. That's very interesting indeed. Finally, can I put the tired old argument to you? I'm sure you've heard it a million times. I mean, if if Irish people in general were to go down the road. Uh, the same road as you towards being uh, vegan. Um, agriculture, as we know, it would be pretty much wiped out. Um, certainly, well, dairy, no. dairy and cattle and the like. Um, what What's your answer to that? Uh, well, obviously, it's a complex issue. But animal agriculture wouldn't be wiped out. We just would have a, a, an agricultural and food system change, and that's not going to happen overnight. But the fact of the matter is that you know, you know, most farmers will, will accept the fact that. You know, it, it, it's not working. The system isn't working. And if there weren't, wasn't so much money coming from from Brussels, you know, a lot of the small family farms just simply wouldn't exist. And you know, the only really farming communities that are make, making any money these days are the dairy industries. Mm-hmm. And the only dairy industry ones that are making any money are the ones who are very large ones. And you know, they're causing you know very very significant environmental problems. So we're a country which has forgotten how to you know grow crops. Um, and we've forgotten how to be sustainable. So it's a big system change, and this current government isn't going to be able to do it. But I think coming down the tracks, Fran, it's happening anyway. You know, the world is going to move towards a plant-based diet sooner or later, and, you know, all the climate change advice is telling us to do it sooner. And so it's going to happen, and it does require a huge shift in the way we produce our food, and it requires keeping, you know, bringing people on board, it requires probably people sitting around the table for six months and trying to work out how we're going to change agriculture. But I don't believe that, you know, it's the end of agriculture. I would say it's, the, it's a new beginning. 
Jerry, it's very interesting to talk to you today, and thanks very much indeed for coming on with us on this vegan day. Thanks very much, Jerry. Bye bye, Tuna. Thank you. Bye bye. That's Sherry Boland speaking to us uh, today. How do you feel about that? Would you like to go down that vegan route, or if like me? I'm very fond of my meat. I would find that extremely difficult indeed. But anyway, how do you feel about it? 1800-938-007. A listener says, oh my God, Fran, have you seen the state of some of the places for homeless people? Uh, you couldn't put anybody's children uh, in there. And it mentions particular towns around the county as well. And uh, this is um, on the back of my conversation with Graham. Um, about uh, his uh, children being in uh, temporary accommodation. Somebody else saying, uh, no, I beg your pardon, same person saying people on drugs, they're off their faces. It's a disgrace. I know addiction is a terrible disease, but come on. I would never put children in somewhere where they can see this. It's an awful situation. All right, we'll take a break. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie And you're very welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp is 083-311-3311. Now, we think we own it. A Journey Towards Sustainability is a thought-provoking book with uh, scientific, philosophical, spiritual and theological roots where people are encouraged to use their hearts and minds to seek a new strategy to bring about healing within humanity. Now, the author is Tom Tracy, who joins me in studio. Tom, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And really good to talk to you today. Um, what an interesting book, and I'll tell you why I really found it interesting, is that I had my mind made up before I opened it what it was going to be about, and boy, did it shock me, because you have a lot of ideas in there that might shock people. Um, was that deliberate that you... You know, that you wanted to sort of well, shake suppose, things up a little bit? Well, it, it wasn't deliberate, but I say I started writing... Like, when, when you start writing a book, you start writing notes. Yes. And uh, the book the book took a certain direction, but central to the whole uh, reason I started writing was um, I, had a great John, I had a great friend called John Maher. Yes. And Care, and poor John died from cancer a few years ago. And I called John's house one day in care and I took him for a spin to Tlane. And <clears throat> we were driving along the road anyway and there wasn't much been said because John was fairly sick at the, uh, that particular day. Then John turned to me and he said, Tom, he said, that tradition comes from Eden. I said, John, what are you talking about? He said, when we're in a country road, we salute each other. Salute yes. each other in a car. And then when we're in a city, we don't see each other. The concrete changes us. So we're basically friendly in a garden setting. So I said to myself, I turned to John and said, John, that's a, that's a fair uh, statement you have to say. And, and uh, I said, where did you get that, that idea? He said, ah, I do a bit of reading and things like that. And that was it. Mm. So in the back of my mind, I said to myself, I can use this somewhere. And then 
through my, my uh, career in Griffiths College in Limerick, I started teaching uh, sustainability. So I had a kind of a license to speak about sustainability. And then at a certain moment in my life, I studied for priesthood. So I had a background in theology, philosophy, science, and also what John said about Eden. And the whole story came together. And uh, the fr- if you look at the front cover of the book, we think mm. we own it. There's, yes. a, there's a man holding the planet and he's holding the apple of Eden. And um, another uh, central part of the plot of writing this book is that I, I read a book by Abbot Mark Barrett one time and he said the fall of Eden was nothing got to do with them taking the apple. They could have taken seven apples and there'd be no fall of Eden. And I speak about the myth of Eden. Yes. I'm not creationist. Yes, so you accept it's, it's a myth. It's a, it's yes. a, it's a mythological story that was written yeah. to try to, to uh, solve uh, humanity. And, and, and the dark traits in humanity. And Mark Barrett said that the real fall of Eden was when they thought they owned the apple. Yes. So that's the book. And that's the tie-up, isn't it? We, we think we own we it. We think we own it. The apple you, and the planet. A couple of really profound things came out of it and really made me think, though, was when you said even the breath that we take in, we don't own. Oh, we don't. Yeah, we don't own it. And there was someone speaking recently on our Irish radio. There was someone, some engineer speaking, and she said... Um, We'd want to capture our wind to create electricity. Our wind, the wind that's coming in from the West Coast, that's not our wind. Does nobody owns it. That's the mystery of life. And even the breath that, Fran, you and I are using to get our breath in the middle of this conversation. Do we own it? We, We certainly use it. I, I also thought that immediately this book would be advocating, for instance, that we all go out and buy an electric car. Um, quite quite the opposite, because you point out the carbon footprint of us having an electric car, and you go so far as to say we might be better off to hang on to our old petrol jalopy, in fact. Yes, very true, because the amount of indirect carbon dioxide that's emitted when the car has been assembled is absolutely shocking and nobody says anything about that. For instance, you have to, you need crude oil to create the plastics of the car, the tyres and everything, right? You need to heat the building where the car has been assembled. You need to go and get the iron ore from the ground and mine that to create the car. All the electric cables, all the parts of this battery, that's the, the, the hard metals that are in the yes. battery. Everything has to be mined. Everything has to be assembled. So when they say this uh, electric car has zero emissions driving along the road, I have a major problem with that because the amount of emissions that was created in creating the car is colossal. And none of the, men, none of the people selling the cars mentioned that. You also talk in the same way about the wind turbines, for example. Now, I have an awful problem with those, but it's just from an aesthetic point of view. I just hate mm. the way they look. Mm. Some of the most beautiful places that I used to love driving by now, I think, are spoiled by them. But anyway, the, therein lies another tale. Mm. But again, you make a similar point about those. Oh, yeah, the amount of carbon, indirect carbon that's emitted to build the wind turbine. I have numbers in my book now, I can't quote the numbers, but it's, it's quite colossal. Yes. I mean, you see the hundreds and actually the hundreds of thousands of wind turbines around the planet now at the moment, they all have to be assembled. And I remember having a conversation with somebody, what happens to the blades in a number of years? You know, the blades yeah. will, will, will uh, need to be replaced. And I, think, I think the blades can't be, can't be recycled. recycled. Right. So there's a problem there, but the actual metal and the electronics and everything to build the wind turbine 
is huge uh, carbon, yes. indirect carbon. And the other thing about wind turbines, if you get major wind in a storm, the turbine has to shut down because uh, it might take off like a helicopter if the thing Yes, and I've seen images of yeah. that, in fact. On, yeah. on the, the, the other thing that kind of shocked me is, and you're completely at odds with our last mm. uh, contributor, in fact, we were talking about the vegan diet and all of that, mm. but you, you don't want uh, the farmers to be blamed and you don't really want to see a change in agriculture. Is that fair? Well, it's fair, yeah, because I think that uh, humanity are mislead. We're misleading each other because we have created the huge problem with carbon emissions. Now, okay, the cattle burp a bit of methane when they're digesting their, their grass, yes. but the miracle where a cow or a bullock goes out into the field, eats grass converts the grass to milk and meat and nutrition for humanity. That's a miracle of creation. Why should we blame the dumb animal in the field for something that we have caused? And the whole thing started off with the Industrial Revolution and and the mining of coal and everything. And uh, so I, w- I would leave, I would, especially in Ireland, uh, we have a special uh, land and special grasslands for cattle, not every country can produce the milk and the, and the dairy and the meat that we can produce, so I would leave it. And Indeed. another thing, I wouldn't have carbon tax either. Don't I would know. rather educate people. Instead of putting on uh, three briquettes on the, on the fire, put on two. Educate people. Be aware that, OK, we are creating a little bit of pollution, but I think awareness is better than tax. You made... Another, well, you made loads of interesting points, but again, some, some ones that shocked me. I mean, really, 2050, even if we did everything that we're supposed to do, we're, we're not really going to get there, are we? And, and you, you speak about wording and semantics and, and couching real meaning in wording and stuff. Mm. That, that concerns you, doesn't it? Well, it concerns me all the talk. And, and the government will say, oh, we have, we have, a, doc, we have, a, we have a proposal Put together, we've passed the laws, and we have everything in a, in, a, in a lovely booklet now, and we have a great plan put together for reducing carbon emissions, and we hope to have net zero carbon emissions by 2050 or something like that. The documentation is there; it's all filed away on, on lovely shelves, and everything is is perfect. But what I think governments aren't saying enough. What I think in this book, and my my hypothesis of the book is that we should reduce the amount of energy we're using. Because we're in a closed system. And the carbon carbon dioxide we're emitting is staying within the system of our atmosphere around the planet. So we're in a a closed uh, system. We have to um, reduce the amount of energy we're using because when energy is produced, you will have pollution. Mm whether it's uh, wind turbines, the turbines have to be built, whether it's um, battery car, electric cars, cars have to yes. be built. So it's all got to do with, with reducing the amount of energy. And, and how, I, con- how I controversially do do- say we have to reduce our standard of living. Yes, th- I was just going to get to that. <laughs> Which is very controversial. Now, that is very controversial because guess who's going to suffer the most from that? Well, it's people who are very poor. Um, people that would... Yeah, but I've, I've part in the book as well that... The, the poor people, especially the third world, uh, the third world areas of this planet, they are entitled to have a carbon footprint. At the, at the moment, they can't afford to have a carbon put, footprint. Yes. So I would say let let the poor people. It's all about balance, and it's all about. I want to m- mention the word harmony. Yes. Because there's yeah. a disharmony in society. 
if we allow the people that are poor to have a bit of a life and the people that are in in the, the more well-to-do people but most of us are middle class but the more well-to-do people reduce the standard of living you right. can find a you, harmony you get a bit more balance a bit, a and, bit and again balance. controversially you you would say that you know people in third world com- countries might just aspire to a fridge for example a or f- a car they should yeah. be allowed that of course they should yeah, yeah. and allowed to pollute a little bit so yeah. it's all about balance. balance we need to get balance and uh, so it comes back to it comes back to harmony. I have to go back to the myth of Eden, mm. right? Where Adam and Eve, the myth of Adam and Eve, hid behind a bush when God came into the garden. Yes, and that was the beginning of their disconnection with truth and disharmony. And I think we're li- we're still living in disharmony in this plant today. If you see if you see what's happening every morning, you turn on the news. Yeah, it's everywhere, isn't and, it? And even this morning, I heard on the news that they're going to find people for burning turf mm. in this country. Mm. I think it's outrageous. Whereas if you look up into the sky, there's airplanes crisscrossing the skies all the, all the morning. Every day you see the lines of, of the airplanes going all over the world. Yet a person in Clamel today or next week, if they happen to burn a bit of turf, they'll be fined. That's his disharmony. It's actually madness. Yeah, for me, I don't hear the Greens speaking out about the war between Ukraine and Russia, for example. I mean, look at the carbon footprint on, on you know, military action there and also yeah. And the possibility of nuclear war, for God's sake. Absolutely. I mean, you know. And even the, the presidential election in Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. The man that lost the election, he supports a burning tires yeah. on the roadways this morning, which is incredible. Which is incredible, it? and and then you have the Amazon rainforest, another issue yeah. where they're they're developing agriculture there. And back to our farming, if we reduce our cattle here in Ireland, the guys in Brazil will knock down trees and they'll produce meat produce out there more. anyway. Yeah. So it's co- complete disharmony. So the answer then is, is it as simple as I mean, you mentioned kindness quite a bit in the book. Kindness, I mean, yeah. is, is kindness that was one of the most that was one of the most uh, difficult uh, lines I wrote in the book. I said, humanity should show kindness and be nice to each other. Yeah. Sh- now, it's, you, it's I presume shocking. you don't mean that in a syrupy kind of way. Oh you, no, you, you, no. Oh, I'm so how about do you mean that? And I, I'd like I'd like to um, give give an example. I was at the Danbury Cup final on uh, final on Sunday where Kilmarnock uh, McDonald's had a great victory after 37 years Fantastic. trying to win yeah. Danbreen. I saw the Kilwan team at the start of the second half and they started playing with great harmony and they started doing the right thing with the ball. And if you're a hurling team or a football team playing in harmony and if you give the pass at the right time, the pass is grabbed, the ball is buried to the back of the net, right? That happened on Sunday for Kilwan McDonald's. And I say to all, hello to all the people of North Tip, say it, Loch Jordan and all that. They, they might, they might uh, be interested in, in reading my book sometime. But, and even at the cup presentation, Jerome Cahill, the captain, he mentioned Dylan Quirk, poor Dylan who died, playing the game he loved in Torres a few, a few months ago for Clonoty Ross Moore. And he, 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 had the, he had the sense and the self-awareness to respect the dead, yet celebrate with the cup and give the pass at the right time, get the winning scores. You're talking about a team in harmony and humanity to save the planet have to play or live life with the harmony that Kilwan McDonald's did to win Dan Breen last Sunday. They just hit, they just got moving 
in the right direction. They're all working together. And I would say they, they showed kindness and niceness to each other the way they played the game. And that's there's a message there. Sometimes sport is a great example of how we should live our lives. Well, that's how a team can be bigger than the sum of its parts, for example, as well, isn't it? You know, which is so important. It's lovely. uh, Chapter seventeen. You begin with it with a quotation. I just love it. it. It says, "Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forward." Yeah. How true that is. You know. How true that is. Yeah. Even though. We don't learn all that much when we look back, do we? Yeah, there was a quotation. Sir Kierkegaard, a great philosopher, yeah. came up with that quotation. We're, um, I suppose, we're, we're at the same stage of our lives, Fran. We're in 50 ish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah let's go with that. We can, we can look back 30 years ago. Yes. And uh, you, could be going, you could be going through a bad patch 30 years ago. But today you got through it, and today mm. it makes sense. Mm. And when, when you were going through it, you might say, God, this is what am I going to do here? But you just keep on going and you keep on trying to do the right thing. Back to the sporting term, you try to do the right thing with the ball every day you get up. When mm. you're standing in the shower and you say, I'm going to do the right thing, you look back on it then, it can make sense. But on the bigger scale, I wonder, do we learn from the past? I mean, and again, I point to you what's happening with wars around the world. We don't seem to figure out yet that war doesn't work. You know, it war just, doesn't, just work doesn't work, and history you know. tends to repeat itself. Absolutely, and yeah. we make the same mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you were telling me that you know you were thinking a lot on your drive down today. Right. Will you tell tell me about that? I was what? thinking a lot on my drive down today because I spent more more than half my life in this part of the country when I when I uh, left school first to start uh, studying in Waterford Institute of Technology, which is now the new, new university down there. I did a, a national diploma in chemistry down there. And then I started working in Merck Sharp and Dome. So there's a lot of people in Clamel might know me, Tom Tracy, who spent about nine years of my life working in the quality control lab on D shift in Merck Sharp and Dome. And then I uh, changed career. Then I started teaching in the vocational school in Clamel. And uh, my boss there for the last few years, I thought that was Charlie McKeever. And Charlie is often on here speaking about Tipperary sure, football. So indeed, yeah. if you're out there today, Charlie, I'll say hello. And uh, Michael Maroney was also uh, involved in the management. Of course, uh, Niall O'Neill, who Niall has gone to his, uh, Niall, Niall passed away a few years ago. And all the all the, the, the old staff in vocational school, they'd known me fairly well. I also taught for a year in the high school uh, under Shea Bannon. And then I taught various uh, other schools. You might think to myself then, why is my career so fragmented? Mm. In the middle of all that, I studied for priesthood in Maynooth College. And I spent um, six years of my life in Maynooth College. And I left there ordained a deacon. And I also have connection with this part of the country because I served as a, a deacon in the parish of Care about five years ago uh, for the Diocese of Waterman this morning. Mm. And, um, and can I ask you why you didn't go ahead to the priesthood? Um, I I stood back and uh, I, I I thought about where I was going in life, and I, I I felt at the end of my days in in Maynooth, I wasn't quite ready to take the step to priesthood, and I suppose I've lived my life ever since, ready to take the step, but happy not to take the step. Because I'm, I, I love my life at the moment. I'm presently uh, teaching in Griffiths College in Limerick, mm. and it's one of the best jobs I ever had. Mm. Great job, and I'm very happy in my life. And whereas the priesthood is always a possibility, it may remain so. Right. For the and rest is of my there life. a particular impediment that that would stop you? Not really. Not no, really. not okay. really. No, because. Right. No, 
Uh, I, I think that everybody has to find their niche in life and be happy. Mm. So you don't have to be a priest to be happy. You don't have to be a teacher to be happy. You don't have to be a radio presenter to be happy. Mm-hmm. Just find that find that happiness and that's the secret to life. The book is called uh, We Think We Own It, A Journey Towards Sustainability. Where can we pick it up, Tom? Where, where can yeah, we now it? I have a bit of a list here, Fran, if you bear with me. <laughs> I thought you might. Yeah, you can, you can pick it up here in Llanmel, right, in yeah. the book market in Llanmel. Uh, you can pick it up in Care in Maher's Health House in Care. Uh, Ali Maher in Kilsheelan Post Office is also stocking the book, and I'd be well known the Kilsheelan area having worked in Mer Sharp and Dome. Um, Ali, uh, Eddie Coslo and Cap White is stocking the book. Toomey's and Menard book is, can be found in Golden. Thurlis, the bookworm in Thurlis. Uh, Nina Bookshop, North Tip. Joe Lochnan's pub in Bursley. Joe's mm-hmm. a great friend of mine. Uh, Joe Harrigan uh, in Mitchellstown, new men uh, shopping uh, men's mm. clothing in, in Mitchellstown. Nelly Maroney in Lisfernan. Jim of the Mills pub. Uh, you can get in Bansha. Cashel, the Texaco petrol station in Cashel. Right. Ryan's in Hollyford. Rody so, Kennedy in Rare Cross. All, all around the And world. all the Pee Dwyer and Dundrum, O'Mahony's in Limerick and in Tiptown. I go very, on and on and on. It's good. all there. Well, right? look, congratulations. Uh, I promise you, it's a very interesting read if you pick it up. Good to see you, Tom. Thanks, yeah. thanks very much indeed. Thanks Thank you. Thanks we'll take a break. Back with more. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Now, seemingly, uh, having a boy uh, might be uh, tougher work indeed. Scientists say that having a son seems to age your brain quicker. A study of more than 13,000 over 50s in the US found that parents with at least one son experienced faster cognitive decline compared to those without one. And those who had more than one son lost their cognitive abilities faster than those who had only daughters. Well, Jane Ogden is Professor in Health Psychology at the University of Surrey and joins me now. Good morning to you, Professor. Good morning. And thank you so much indeed for coming on with us today. Does this surprise you? <laughs> it massively <laughs> surprises me, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I've just been looking at the paper and trying to understand the data and also trying to fit it into my own life. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a daughter, I have a sister, and I also have a son, and I also have a daughter. So I'm struggling to try and put my anecdotal experiences of being all those things with what this data um, suggests. And the data suggests what I would think would be the opposite, to be honest with you, um, in some ways of my experiences. Oh, that's interesting. You, you think it might be the opposite as far as you're concerned? Well, the things which make us live longer... Uh, and have better, perhaps, I mean, we're not that clear on cognitive decline, but perhaps have better cognitive processing as we live longer, are looking after yourself, so lifestyle, eating well, sleeping well, getting lots of exercise, not smoking, not drinking. So those things help us have kind of cognitive um, functioning as we get older. Mm -hmm. And then the other factors which make us live well are social support, um, not being lonely, being happy in our lives, having people around us. Um, and what this study is suggesting is that boys, having boys, uh, make us behave more unhealthily, 
and that perhaps girls look after us in our older age, which makes us live longer and be healthier as we get older. Some of which rings true. Um, I would imagine that perhaps girls do tend to look after mm-hmm. their parents a bit more because mm-hmm. that's kind of socially expected. Um, but for me personally, having had a son, maybe so much more physically active um, because he was like a small puppy a lot of the time um, that needed kind of running around and needed to be thrown in the garden and, and played football and basketball with. And, and as he's grown older, he still needs physical activity. So I'm slightly struggling with all of those things. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm just wondering, you know, about the research in general. I mean, from a scientific point of view, does it have any standing, I suppose, is what I'm saying, Jane? Well, it's a longitudinal design, so they carried the collected data over time, and it's a huge sample. Um, when you have longitudinal designs, you're basically looking at changes over time. You're not looking at causality, um, because we don't know that something in the past caused something in the future, because mm. it could be lots and lots of other factors. And we call that the third factor variable. So there's lots of other things which could be accounting for that association. Just because two things are associated with a 20-year gap doesn't mean to say the thing at baseline relates to the thing at follow-up. It could be lots and lots of other things that have happened in that time. Um, And there's control for some of that in the analysis, but you can't control for everything because you just haven't measured it. You don't know it. So there could be so many, many other factors which are relating to cognitive decline, not the gender of your child 20, 30, 40 years ago. So it's, it's, it's problematic in that way. The other thing is that when you've got very large samples, you just find significant effects, but the effect sizes are tiny, 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 but they're amplified by the number of um, participants in the study. Uh-huh. So that's my worry about this, is that it, one, if the design is flawed, because, I mean, you can't do it. You, you, the ideal design would be to randomise control trial, but then you'd have to randomly allocate people to either have a boy or have a girl and then follow them up, which we just can't do. Um, but because we can't do that, we do designs which aren't great, um, but they are therefore flawed. So I think that probably tiny effect sizes which have been amplified by having large numbers, but then also probably other kind of third factors in there that I don't, you know, what, what they are, I don't know, but we will never know that are kind of making these effects stand out. That's very interesting because we were interested in it because the sample was so large, but you're saying to me that could in fact be a negative. Yeah. I mean, you you inflate sizes, um, effect sizes, when you have a very large... When you have a very large sample size, people think that's great, which it is great, but you can find tiny effects in that. Um, and that might be what's happening here. There might be a tiny effect, but it's being amplified yes. by the large sample size. The the fact that the sampling only happened in the US, as far as I can read as well. I mean, what yeah. should we read into that, for example? <laughs> well, I mean, who knows how normal, generalizable people from the US are. Um, and the other thing you have to ask is who takes part in studies. So always at a study, ask who did it and who didn't do it. You know, how many people did they try and recruit for this study? So it might be a large sample, but they might have tried to get millions of people and they only got 1%, 2%, 20%. So you have to always ask, who are the 80% that didn't take part? Are these people special in some ways? You know, so if you advertise a study, I'm looking for the impact of the gender of your child on something. The people who come forward are different to those people who don't come forward, possibly because they think, oh, my God, I've got this kind of child and that's really impacting my health. Um, 
That puts a whole new look at it as far as I'm concerned. So this doesn't really add anything then, I guess, to our understanding of cognitive impairment or dementia or any of that really, does it? Well, I suppose I'm sceptical. I mean, what, what you have to remember about research is that all studies are incremental. So no study stands on its own. You know, you have a study, it's problematic, it's flawed, because all research is. But then you have another study, and it looks like it has the same sorts of findings. And then you have another study. And over time, research builds on research. And then you start to think maybe these findings hold up. But I would certainly be sceptical of the first study to show this, particularly when it's used the design that it's got, and particularly with such a massive sample when we don't really know the response rate or who those people were. But I would wait. I mean, I would just wait, wait 50 years and see what comes out in the research and then go, oh, OK, you know, maybe maybe there is something in this. Um, but there's a whole history of kind of random findings in research which are never replicated. They never, ever happen again. They just come out of a data set and that's the end of that. So it's always good to be critical of what you read. Um, absolutely. And the only thing that emerged from it, I probably go along with a bit, is the, the notion, and you alluded to this, that daughters are more likely to look after their parents only because, as you say, um, they're expected to, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a sort of, you know, it's passed through the generations, isn't it? That that's what happens is that, yeah. you know, the, I don't know what, the, I can't remember what the saying is, but if you have a son, you, what is it? You have a son until he finds him a wife, you have a daughter for the rest of your life, that's it. Yes. <laughs> yes, Which I've told my children is not true. You have both of them for the rest of your life. Yeah, um, they're, they're, I'm sure you're aware of the notion of the Irish mammy, uh, you know, here yeah. as well. And, and sons, God knows, here in Ireland have broken their poor mother's hearts for, for many decades indeed. So I'm not sure if that plays into their cognitive impairment later, <laughs> later on in life. <laughs> I mean, also, it feels very outdated to me because gender differences are beginning to be so yeah, questioned. Yeah. You know? So are there really, you know, are we really that interested in boys versus girls any longer? Is it is it that clear that boys are more sporty and girls are more caring? You know, more girls, are they really more nurturing than, than boys any longer? And does that really matter? And, mm. you know, the world is changing and, and girls can be sporty and physically active and, and boys can be loving. So... I wonder whether those kind of moments are gone for that kind of research as well, really. That's that's very interesting. And in your studies, um, what what do you say about that? I mean, are we changing? Well, I don't know. I mean, the, the research has always been problematic on differences between boys and girls. Yeah. Because if you look for differences, you find it. But if you look for similarities, you can find that as well. Uh, it depends how you ask the questions and, and what you do with the analysis. But, you know, boys, men... They're no longer expected to man up in the way that they used to be, and they're no longer expected to not show their emotions or not cry. Um, and girls are encouraged increasingly to be ambitious or assertive or or clear about what they want in life. So, you know, thankfully, those old-fashioned traditions of gender differences they're beginning to they're beginning to blend, aren't they? And and we're being allowed to be more of whatever we want to be. I mean, if you're a girl, you can be affectionate and kind and caring and loving, but you can also you know, play football and, you know, be amazing and be in the World Cup or whatever. So boundaries are breaking down. Um, and I, I was at the football on Sunday and there was a man in front of me with his little boy, must have been about um, five years old, and they were cuddling away watching the football oh, together. Wow. And it was just the loveliest thing to see. I mean, it was obviously it looked like his first little match. Isn't and that great? Was, with, 
you know, yeah. with his dad cuddling up watching football, and you go, well, there you go. That's a whole new generation, isn't it? Of, Absolutely. Of everything. Got everything so there. So th- there's hope there somewhere. Professor Ogden, it's always a, a pleasure. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. You're very welcome. Good morning well. to you. Bye-bye. That's uh, Jane Ogden there, who's Professor of Health Psychology at the University of uh, Surrey. I was interested uh, to read today as well that Professor uh, Pre- President uh, Joe Biden lost his temper with Vladimir Zelensky and told him to be more appreciative of the billions in military aid that the US had given Ukraine in a rather a rather testy phone call indeed. Um, this is according to a new report that's out, but seemingly Biden had barely finished telling Zelensky that he's greenlighted another one billion. Uh, dollars in military assistance when Zelensky started listing all the additional help that he needed and wasn't getting. And Biden then reportedly lost it. And according to some of the sources here, um, he, he raised his voice and he told um, Vladimir Zelensky that the Americans had been quite generous and his administration and the military were working very hard for Ukraine. He told the Ukrainian leader that um, he should show a little more appreciation. There you are now. 1800-938-007. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Matt, and uh, you're welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. Martin was on to say the consumption of fresh water to produce beef and dairy is massive and wasteful. In another few years, we might be lucky if we're allowed one shower a week. One shower a week, Martin. Sure, isn't that all you need, for God's sake? You not remember the big bath that would be there on a on a Saturday, you'd all have to share the water and everything. For God's sake, Martin, wouldn't you be grand? Oh, wait, three, three, double one, double three, double one. For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on tip today with Phil Prendergast. There you are, one char, one char a week, Phil. Ah, back in the day, <laughs> we had the bath once a week. Yes. And if you were the youngest, you had the dirtiest water. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Now, there might be a refill, really, because there was a lot of us. Uh, you were posh, you see. We were not posh. We were, we were loads. That's what we were. <laughs> All right, Phil. Um, much stuff coming in. By the way, if you have an issue that you'd like, Phil, to deal with, it is um, tiptoday at tipfm.com or dearphil at tip fm.com will do as well. All right, our first letter today. Hi, Phil. I'm a man in my 60s, and for as long as I can remember, I've had a problem with intimacy, but also putting women on a pedestal. I had a difficult upbringing and have spent years dealing with it, what I now recognise as a major rejection from my mum. As I got older, the this manifested as me trying to please every woman in my life. I was overly generous with attention, affection and gifts in order to keep the women in my life happy, but at the same time would shy away from any real intimacy. 
I'm divorced from my first wife and we have four daughters together. I adore all of them, but I find that we don't really have a close relationship where uh, they could confide in me. I think I've always been seen as the provider. My wife instigated the divorce because um, she said that while I was a good husband, she felt that we had no real deep connection and she didn't want to live the rest of her life like that. Even in my job, I've almost found that I would work above and beyond to please my female bosses, much more so than any male bosses. Is it too late to try to form a closer bond with my family? Why do I have such a problem with intimacy? I do try, but I find I just can't completely let my guard down. I've never been able either to reconcile why I can't form a close bond with anybody, but yet shower them with attention. It doesn't make sense, and I'm exhausted from it. Well, <clears throat> it's a quite sad a letter, really, that, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah. yeah. Um, he just said that his upbringing was very difficult and he'd spent years dealing with it. But I'm wondering how did he deal with it? Was it just that he decided that if you shower people with gifts and, and you're you're overloading them with, with stuff that perhaps they mightn't want, you're 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 deflecting from some lack within yourself. And it does come across completely seriously that um, from from reading through it, he he just he seems to lack confidence in a huge way. Now, genuinely, I know it can sound very trite when you say that you're 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 reading through and his wife instigated divorce because whilst he was a good husband, she felt there was no deep connection. But the whole problem with him in relationships seems to have stem from the rejection from his mother. Now, this is a genuine case that I really feel could really benefit from professional counselling. Um, with a psychotherapist and I think that that's that's a commitment he'd have to make and he might be far better off putting, excuse me, putting his money into that than showering people with gifts that are on a show or frivolous or a deflection from how he's feeling inside. Um, and if he went and, and worked out with a counsellor, they have a very specific way of dealing with, with people that have issues they identify what the issue is. They see how the person is. They see, they put a limit on the, the how long the session is going to be and they're very rigidly adhere to that. It's not that, oh, I'm well able to talk today, I'll keep going, I'll keep going. Yes. There's a, a set amount of time where there's a process and when that process, when that time is up on that, you call time on it and you make the, the arrangement for the next session. And it could take 15, 20 sessions. But this man genuinely, th- I think he needs it. Is that very real, <laughs> that notion that if you did have rejection from a mother, that there is that lifelong, almost, difficulty with oh, relationships? There, there, there can be. Mothers are very pivotal <clears throat> in childhood because they're, they're back in the day. It certainly would have been the mother more so than the father. It's a bit different now because, generally speaking, both people work in the house hmm. by need rather than by design. And it could be that, I don't know where he came in the family, but he could have been the seventh boy or the ninth boy, or he could have been the first, or he could have been the one that was expected to get on with it, um, and she was busy with other things. Or she may have had an issue herself with with Mm. communications. So he, you know, his his he realizes that in his sixties he's had this problem always, but it does really it comes across as that his he was trying to overcome his his lacking of confidence with 
buying gifts and trying to be a people pleaser or a woman pleaser. Mm. And he's not. The, it, it's it's like as if if he could repair how he feels about the rejection from his mother, he might be much better able to cope in a more normal way rather than feeling he has to buy people's attention and buy people's love and buy people's com- comradeship and that sort of thing. I suppose at least he's aware of it. I mean, it might well, be... That's a real positive yeah. in this. It's a real positive because... And I suppose it's like that as well. You don't get to be in into your 60s without making having some realisation that, you know what, maybe I was a sort of an architect of my own sort of thought processes there or the way I behaved or the way I did certain things or what influenced people to be the way they are. And I mean, to be able to recognise it is huge and then to be able to actually go and deal with it. And counselling can be a very painful time for people Mm, because mm. they are touching base with the losses and the pain and the hurt. But there's also breakthroughs where they get a very great, they get a great, a great benefit from being able to maybe see a pattern or see a thing. And it's not about, it's not about trying to make themselves a better person. It's about a better understanding of themselves and to stop perhaps beating themselves up. It's very interesting. Very. So, so your advice to him is to, to seek out I would say seek out Help. professional counselling right. and he will find he will find people local and if he didn't want to go somewhere local even though I can absolutely say without fear or fervour that any professional counsellor it doesn't matter where they're from Mm. They have a code of ethics and they like it's just they are so professional and so helpful and it can be such a benefit to people. It's sad that he's on his own now, though, isn't it? It you know, is, it uh, but it does seem as well that if he ha- he has a lot of people in his life, but the connection isn't happening because he's probably he's probably overdoing it with the gifts and mm. lavishing attention, but then not being able to actually feel valued or part of it. So he's detached from that. So it's like as if he's he's using his maybe he's he has plenty of money to be doing this sort of thing but he's he'd be better off to actually use it and go and have mm. some professional treatment for this because he'll definitely have a better quality of life after it. Invest in himself yeah, I, I suppose for a change um, Alright, our second letter Dear Phil, I'm writing on behalf of a small group of colleagues who work in a retail environment. We work as a group of about 10 mostly but there is one colleague who is really grating on us, so much so that a colleague has started calling in sick with stress because she can't bear the thought of being near him. He picks at everything we do to the point uh, to point out what we did wrong. He criticises everything we speak about and also makes very judgmental comments about our personal lives. One colleague recently bought her first car and she was so proud of showing it off. This colleague went out, pinpointed all the things that he thought were bad about the car and totally deflated her. We told him to be quiet and leave her alone and he backed off, but he came back the next day with an analysis on why the things he pointed out were so serious and why she should address them straight away. It really stressed her out and upset her because she thought she would have to spend a fortune. This is just one example, but every day the guy finds some way of putting somebody down and we're all sick of it. We've uh, tried to freeze him out, but he doesn't seem to take the hint or even care. How do you deal with somebody like this? God, isn't isn't it an awful situation, really? But like, it seems like there's not a manager for this group of people or a team leader, and this guy is undermining the morale of the group and the effectiveness of the team. So I would say that as well, he's he's eroding any goodwill that be, would be there by being an, an, a negative ninny. 
he's just um, they, they're going to have to organise themselves and just say to him this is not acceptable mm. this behaviour is not acceptable and it's not and there are processes in place of, he might need mediation in, in getting the group to be able to work together but if somebody continuously undermines you and picks holes and is negative they, it can bring down the morale of a group very quickly and the, it, it, there's kind of then a, you can sense a, a sort of an attitude or a disharmony within the group and you can feel that if you walk into a place where there's where things are not quite right and you're thinking, what, there's something wrong here and mm. people are not happy when there is no need for it. And it may be that this person is completely oblivious to his faults and his faults are that he's undermining the morale of a group of people he now, works with. They did point it out to him, didn't they? Yeah, but the or next day he came okay, back with another right. list. So it seems like as if he feels that... And, and I, again, I would say that maybe that's a confidence issue with him, that he he feels that his contribution has to be negative. But a negative contribution every single day, it's not long about peeing people off because it's just, you just think, oh, no, mm. here he is again now. What is he going to criticise about us? You know, I mean, and yeah, there, there has to be a group approach to this. And whether they get together and write a letter to him, and just say it's outrageous the behaviour what's going on here every single day we're demoralised by the attitude it's not good for our shop they're in a retail environment it's not good for whatever we're selling it's not good for morale within the group and you're bringing down the vibe and I, I do believe in a situation like this there has to be somebody within that group that would be considered to be either a manager they can't all be equal Senior operators in some way, so yeah. I would say they need to go and analyse the behaviours and tr- see can they sort it out a bit more than it was sorted out previously and just say your behaviour is it's it's not right and we're not going to continue putting up with it and you change or adjust or we, we'll have to go further about it because this is very very uncomfortable work environment it would sound like yeah it, it sounds to be a rather big uh, retail environment um so I'm just wondering, if HR, I suppose, would be active there. They, well, and even so, if there was to be a team leader appointed within the yeah. group, but perhaps he thinks he is the team leader. Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah. If, he, if he does, I mean, to think you have the power to, to wreck someone's buzz all the time, Fran, it's, it's very demoralising mm. when you are, you know, you come in and people have stuff <clears> going on at home and people have course, stuff, yeah. worries about finances and worries about the cost of living in crisis and the increases everywhere. They don't need, and they might even see a reflection of that with less people coming into the shop or the environment they're working in. Being, you know, they're they're worried maybe about their futures. They don't need this big negative lump in the middle of them, sort mm. of trying to bring them down. Yeah, is it trying to be too kind to say he's got his own issues? No, no. I mean, obviously, he has some degree of um, an interpretation that he has the right to be negative right. when when you have an opportunity to be positive. And Fran, even a stop clock is right twice a day. So we're not, we're not. You know what I mean? You're not, you're not trying to say everyone should be ha 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 every single day because some days you're just not great days, and there are other days and you could be pure high <laughs> and cracked for the day, which which often happens to me. But anyway, um, but they do need yes. to deal with it because it's. Um, and particularly the young one that got her car and I all know, the rest of it. And I then know. he pointed out, they're useless cars and they'll do this, they'll do that. And you're thinking, oh, I'm so delighted and so proud of this achievement. And it does spoil. Yeah, spoil it, it, well, yeah. it does. And there isn't, and why would you, like, I mean, you can you can choose to either be very nasty or you can choose to be 
not commenting if you do, if you see something that somebody say is wearing. You're thinking that that's just awful <laughs> on that person. Don't bother sharing your thoughts with that person if you don't like what they're wearing. Just shut up. Yeah, you don't always have to react. Sure exactly, you, don't, you don't have to say it. All right, our final uh, letter then. Dear Phil, I'm a single woman in my 20s and I've been finding the dating scene very difficult. The only real way to meet men is by going down the route of online dating. This is fine, but the general pattern is that you connect with some guy, you text for a few weeks, and then if you're lucky, meet for a date which usually comes to nothing or ends with a one-night stand and then you never hear from them again. I've tried to eliminate the long texting periods with asking them to meet for a coffee to see if we have a spark but that's usually met with let's just text for a few weeks and see what we have in common. God I have a lot to learn from this. Um, The problem with texting is that I find I build up an image of this guy in my head uh, that usually isn't accurate and I romanticise this guy and our relationship uh, before we even meet. I just find the process of long texting so pointless and irritating. It's like a job interview and I feel under pressure to always be funny and cheery in my responses to keep their interest. Why is it so hard to meet a nice guy? My dear, you're not going to meet a nice guy on the text. You're not going to meet him on the phone, the end of a phone. You're not going to meet him online dating. Like she says at the start, the only real way to meet men is going down the route of online dating. Not true at all. And I suppose the best thing I could advise, first of all, needs to get out more for certain. Um, Texting is not a relationship. You're hiding behind a persona Mm. when you're texting somebody and they can be hiding behind a persona. And like, why... Why would you choose even to use your energy for, for this texting business as a precursor to a relationship? Yeah, well, is that usual now in long periods of time? I wouldn't, have, time or spent I wouldn't have said so, but I am elderly, so I don't <laughs> You're know. You're not elderly. Really but so. you have the reality of meeting somebody that's warm <clears> and vibrant and human or inhuman <laughs> and you're meeting them in a pub or yeah. in an environment. The whole idea that if you want to go and meet somebody, you should go and join a group and whether it is a theatre group or whether it is a reading group or whether it is a walking group or whether it is a club or a gym, go to where you can meet real people, not with the intention of meeting a partner to go and date and do whatever it is you'd like to do with them, but for the purpose of actually living and and communicating with a human and not building up an idea that you're going to be disappointed with because so far her relationships that she's met, which have realised in in a date, hasn't worked out because she says it straight off, I find it exhausting and pointless, but yet she's repeating the exercise, Mm. which didn't serve her. But is she doing that because she genuinely feels that there is no other way? But your friend, there always was another way. And I suppose... But it's different now, is it it, not? It it is. But I mean, there's actually, there's actually where people deliberately go and do the dating thing, where they go and they meet up in a club and the idea is that you'll you'll hit it off with somebody and head off and do whatever. Um, And there is an idea where you can just go and not be kind of, I'm on the look for a man and I'm out like... That they could just be chilled and relaxed and go to a film or go to... And I know now there might be a lot of opportunity, but I do find I want to talk a lot when I go to the cinema. But anyway. Um, but there are things they can do and there's a whole lot of book clubs and there's a whole lot of, of things that people can do now that mightn't overtly be in the, in the idea that, oh, I'm here to meet a man... 
but you may meet somebody when you're not looking for it. And this sitting at home on a key, being a keyboard warrior to try and uh, build a relationship and then get disappointed or building an idea of somebody which, who's not going to match the reality. The, the reality is not everybody is in great form all of the time and you're not going to... And the, the person that might come in and be absolutely gorgeous and handsome might not be at all for you, whereas you might... A, a quiet little fella there might be just the loveliest person you could ever meet. And if you judge people on a profile picture and you judge people on responses that are silent but written coming across the screen at you, this is not a real relationship either. It's, it's just not real. So I do think you need the warm human interaction right. so and get out, get get out, out and, and get a bit active like and yeah. you know you could meet somebody in the supermarket when you're whatever right. so it's people have met in, in less salubrious places but they're probably on their phones in the supermarket you see <laughs> yeah I know but Fran I suppose the reality is that if you're using communication means that we now have at our fingertips yeah. and you, need, you can nearly do thought projections at people they'll be going around one of these days with bubbles over their head which is written inside you thinking look what that one is thinking you know but it's just you know I mean the, the realness of, of trying to develop a relationship does involve meeting people in a social setting or an unsocial setting or an antisocial setting right. and actually you know oftentimes it is your work colleagues trying to do a relationship because you feel it's it's the right or something that you want it's not real if you're doing it online now that's not to take from and there will be people that will write in how dare she I met my partner online and we would get him and deliriously and of, happy of, of course yes. of course there's that mm. of course there's mm. that but the real thing is to go somewhere real and meet somebody in a social setting where you can enjoy a drink and it doesn't have to have a beginning, a middle and an end all in a conclusion yes. or a linear thing. It can be that you meet somebody and you're thinking, oh, that was really, really nice and then you might meet them in a different setting and you'd go and you'd have the chat or whatever. And if it's to be a relationship or somebody wants to meet you, they will let you know. But you can't have this passion in your head and you think, I'm going to just text this person now and they're online or they're on Tinder and I swipe right and he swipe left and I swipe right and oh God. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of glad I'm... I'm Are you alright Phil? You know, I, I'm perfectly well. I really, really am. But I just think it's it's there's a reality versus yes. an online thing and it's it can be very difficult and I do think that if we lose the ability to communicate with real people and and you can see somebody's face and you can see how they're reacting and you can see how they feel and you know what it can be totally different to having this kind of a sanitised online version where you don't hear inflections in tones and you don't hear the cadence in somebody's voice or you don't hear you know when somebody is having fun fun or mm. being entertained it's it's just all very I don't know sanitised is it very flat very flat indeed Phil it's always a pleasure thanks very much Thank indeed you, our agony aunt uh, Phil Prendergast with us today we'll take a break we're back with more in just a moment Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And uh, welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Your questions are rubbishing science, Fran, on climate change. And he is not being questioned at all. This is making reference to Tom Tracy, who spoke to me. 
Um, I think you might have gotten the complete wrong end of the stick where this is concerned. Tom Tracy is very passionate about sustainability. His, his book is all about that. But he is questioning what's accepted as being the answer to sustainability and to climate change. And I thought he's making some very good arguments there. And we often have opposing arguments to that as well. So there's almost balance across the board here on the programme. But it's very interesting. Did you not think what he was saying about electric cars? I mean, you know, it's it's, it's pushed on us all of the time now that the answer to this is have a million electric cars on the road by 2030. And, you know, it's part of a suite of issues, all right, but it is part of the way to sustainability. And he's saying, yeah, that's all grand, but look at the carbon footprint of presenting you with a an electric car. Look at what it costs by way of... Anyway, there you go. Um, I'm, I, I'm getting a little a little excited about that. It's, it's a Tuesday. What can I say? Um, the man's letter, it's not always mother's uh, issues, Fran, but it, it can come from lack of confidence when young and fear of rejection. And this is about the the gentleman who found issues with intimacy. Uh, Patrick was on to say, God, Fran, I don't know if having a son had an effect on my mum's uh, cognizance, but uh, I certainly taxed her brain over the years, God rest her. Uh, but I don't agree that girls look after their mums better. And I know that Patrick looked after his mum extremely well indeed for a long period of time. So there you go. And again, that's making reference to Professor Jane Ogden, uh, whom I spoke to in at the last hour of uh, the programme. Now, let us move on. Joining me for our holistic slot is uh, Alison Byrne. Uh, good morning to you, Alison. Morning, Fran. Good to talk to you. This week we're going to discuss family dynamics and the effect it can have on uh, relationships in uh, your life. Um, Would you tell me about this? Um, What do you mean when you say that? Is it where you you are in the family by way of younger or older or male, female? What do you mean by that? Okay, that's what come into it. What we're talking about is the relationships you have when you're starting off, when you're just... um, tiny baby and every every experience is new so every experience is big if you had similar experience when you were two it's a little less big because you have a lot more to dilute it from okay mm. so that means then the relations that you have from the time you're born are imprinting on your mind on your unconscious I should say as uh, this is how life is so if you have um, a good relationship with your mother and a bad relationship with your father, you're imprinting in very simplistic terms, uh, women are good, men are bad. Wow. Yeah, I know. Right. And some people think they aren't capable of taking in this information, but they actually are. And we all do. And are you saying that without even thinking about this all that much, it's imprinted upon us? Is that is that it? Oh, yes. Absolutely, that's the way it is. Because we have other experiences in this life stage. So that's what we're taking in as this normal, this is how life is. So then, sorry, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say this plays into a conversation we had with our agony ad just a few moments ago because one of the letters was about a gentleman who has found all his life, he's in his 60s now, but he found any real intimacy very, very difficult indeed because he had issues with his mother when he was a child. Yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. So whatever happens as a child in the family, you don't have power to be able to say, well, I'm fine, I'm intact, I'm I'm grand. Children can't do that. 
take in what they're told, they believe if they're told they're no good or whatever, you know. Now, that's that's indeed, we'll call the more extreme cases of abuse and all that, that's really coming in very strong. But I'm talking across the board with every every relationship. Um, the vast majority of families are good and the vast majority of parents want best for their children and act that way. Every single parent does things that don't agree with later on. It's a, it's just we're human. How we relate to siblings, does that play into this too? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I was talking about the parents because they're the, the biggest influence in the average child's life. Yes, siblings definitely do. And it doesn't matter where you are in family. Sorry, it doesn't matter, but even the, the older children can be bullied by the younger children. It doesn't ne- necessarily go down the line. You know. So what we do is we're usually not able to manage it as a child, so we recreate similar circumstances as an adult in order to work through them. But this is subconscious, obviously. So what that means in reality, you mentioned the man who had difficulty with intimacy. So his relationships with other people are based on his understanding of what a relationship is, which is based on how things were with his... I'm going to say that horrible primary caretaker. You know what I mean, though? Yes. His, his mother. So how could he have a really good, wholesome relationship with other people if he's basing it all on something that isn't working? Now, the, the gentleman in question is now in his 60s and... He's mm-hmm. attempting to do something about this at this point of his life. But can you do something about this very oh, yeah. early influence on you? You can do it at any stage. At any stage. In in most people's lives, they will be okay. They won't have a whole load to manage. And part of the experience of growing up is learning to cope with difficulties and getting through them and being okay. You know, the average person with the average parents who... <laughs> such thing, who um, isn't out to hurt them, who hasn't been badly wounded themselves, will be okay and have relationships that are good. They mightn't be absolutely perfect, but you can't even find what that is, so we're not going there, you know. Um, mm. I just want to point out that no parent is perfect. If that's what a parent is trying to be, just take the pressure off yourself, you're not going to be because you're human. Right, so, you, you so you're, you're never going to have a perfect situation, I guess. Never go to, but if it's if it's good enough, that's what we look for. Good enough means that you're able to uh, function as an adult in various areas of life, and um, you're okay. Mm. But if you have like a problem like that, poor man, you can certainly work on it at any stage. Children are brought to to different. Sorry. Yes, and is part of the issue. I mean, at least in this man's case, he's aware of what's yes. going on. Um, is that an issue, though? You, you might be going on, have a lot of difficulties, but not be aware of the connection and not be aware that possibly you can do something about this. And that is so common. It's sad that is so common. And you end up having a lot of difficulties in relationships, and not just in um, personal relationships, work relationships. And every, let's say you're in a, a team, and the team will represent, sorry, every situation that you're in, if you have a, a difficulty with your mother, you find somebody who acts like her in every situation that you go into. You'll find her in the workplace, the sport, in this group of friends, etc., etc. And that's because on an unconscious level, you're drawing in people who are similar so that you can do this work so that you can overcome the difficulty and be the stronger person that you actually want to be and the happier person that you want to be. 
isn't so, it? Yeah. Yeah. And tell yeah. me, how, how do you do something? So, so some advice on this then, Alison. Okay, well, the, the, the more... Um, uh, well, I was going to say normal, but that's not allowed anymore. Mm. Um, the more common uh, things that people might do is go to counselling. They're mm. aware that there's something there to be counselled, yes. you know, and that will work and hopefully identify, oh, this is where those things are stemming from. So work on the original issue rather than the, or as well as the current ones. Mm. The way that I would work with it because of, of what I do is I would do either healing which is allowing energy like Reiki energy to flow into the client and the energy itself and go in and work through the, the difficulties and help the person to be stronger in themselves therefore they're sending out different vibes therefore bringing in different relationships that's one way. But there's the other things like um, cutting of ties cutting of ties is very uh, simple powerful and quick you can cut the negative ties with whoever the original person was and some people, sometimes people don't realise the original um, uh, yeah. difficulties yeah. with. They come because, um, say, they're having dreadful difficulty with partner. And when you tease it out a little bit, you can see the similarity between that and the difficulties with their mother, their father, or somebody major in their life anyway. And you when know? you say cut ties, do you, you, you're talking in a spiritual sense, are you? Yes, yes. yes. We, we have energy ties between us and everybody that we relate to in life. So the the bigger the relationship, the stronger ties. And every single tie is a mixture of positive and negative because that's us, you know. And if it's mostly positive, but if there's too much negative, you cut the negative ties. No matter what, you will have had good um, uh, benefits from the relationship, no matter how good it was. There's been so good has come out of it, so you hold on to that. And it doesn't matter if you cut the ties with, let's say, your partner's boss, and it's really your father that has started the source, or your father, and then your boss has mimicked it for you. Once you cut the ties with that energy, you'll find that you're not attracting that type of person into your life anymore. So it's a good way uh, if you realise what's going on. And then the three other things, it depends if a client like that, I will talk with them and see which way to go. It could be a past life issue that we need to work through. Could be haven. You know, we just do whatever it is that emerges from the chat of um, which is the best way to that's address a, that's this. That's very now. interesting. Sadly, your line has been uh, breaking up on us a oh little dear. bit, Alison. If, oh if, if people would like to contact you, how how can they do that? Um, my website is alisonburnhealing.com mm-hmm. and my number is 086 3304 all right, Alison, we look forward to speaking to you again, hopefully on a, a better much. line. You look after yourself and thank you for coming on with us today. That's Alison Byrne, who is an holistic uh, therapist and a very popular contributor indeed to the show. So apologies about the uh, quality of that line today. Jimmy was on to say, one shower a week and the country saturated with water. What next, says Jimmy. Um, just listening to Fran on the radio about dating, I'd love to join a social dancing. Does Fran know if there are any locally to Thurless as I'm in my early 50s? A lot of social dancing um, around. I'm not sure about uh, Thurless anymore, but certainly Cashel and Feathert and, uh, you know, up uh, north Tipperary, there's a lot happening uh, as well. I'll, what I'll do is I'll, I'll take your number and uh, I know 
there's a lot of text services telling people when social dancing is on and I'll make sure you get included in that if that's uh, okay. Uh, We're importing uh, millions of tonnes of fertilisers along with GM grain to feed livestock. Our so-called healthy grass and grain is produced with deadly chemicals. Animal nutrition, including B12, is now a big industry because they're no longer in the soil and the grass. The cheap food industry is destroying itself and the planet. Organic food doesn't cost the earth says Martin to us today on 083 311 Pat joins me now. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, friend, and to your listeners. And good to talk to you today. You're making the point, well, you're introducing us to a piece that's in the newspapers today from the, uh, will you tell us about that? It's about the Pope there encouraging people to uh, not eat meat on a Friday. Mm, to reintroduce that old Catholic uh, um, uh, rule, I suppose. Is that is that what Yeah, well, we kind of grew up like we always had mm. um, one day a week we'd eat fish there and it'd be always on a Friday, mm. so the fish shops would be always packed on a Friday, so it was part of our thing. And I suppose the, the church is trying to introduce this. Mm. And, um, and do, you, do you go along with this notion yourself, Pat, reintroduction I of this? I go along with it to a certain extent. There was kind of, um, now we do need to have a balanced diet, and I suppose that was part of the thinking there before, is rather than eating meat most of the week, um, that you had a balanced diet, and at least one day of the week, uh, which was Friday, you had fish. Mm. Um, but I suppose I spoke on the programme there a while back there about uh, one of our best products is our meat industry. And it saddens me, and I don't want to uh, insult anyone, but even these veggie burgers and this kind of thing, they don't go down with me. As I said, I, 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 I don't take them at all. I probably do like the, the meat. And uh, as I said, um, this was just a church, basically. I don't know where they're coming at it from, um, this uh, balanced diet or what way they were coming at it, but uh, I just saw that and I just brought it to your attention. Yeah, it's and it's an interesting one, I suppose, from a few... Uh, but I, I wonder how many people would go along with that now, considering that there's... You know, well, the I'd churches are, are, are pretty empty an awful lot of the time now, so do yeah, you think we'd be guided by this? Yeah, but I think what's um, kicking in big time in uh, Ireland at the moment is the cost of living. So whether people like it or not, um, they don't have a choice of meat. So I don't know, is the church trying to address that look and trying to come up with their own handle on the cost of living? And sure, look, you don't have to have meat on a Friday. So if you don't have meat on a Friday, don't feel hard done by. Because I see myself, like, as I said, um, I would have been a big meat eater, but I have cut down. Um, It is for health reasons, but as I said, it is for financial reasons as well. And, like, I would never, ever have bought in supermarkets before, uh, but with cost of living, I find that I'm buying, but I'm fine, you know, and I would have always supported uh, butcher shops and always be guaranteed quality, um, but what you call it. Uh, you, you have to sacrifice to that now, do you? You have to sacrifice because, as I said, it's tough going. And uh, you spoke on the radio this morning about several things, but the government um, are seemingly not getting the message with uh, the struggle that people are going under. And I can see it on a day-to-day. I can see people just picking up stuff. Um, maybe it could be reduced. It could be anything just to try and cope. Uh, and I don't think the government are getting that message across. 
And I, I think what was said there this morning is even with the way they've handled the whole uh, refugee uh, thing in Ireland, um, they've kind of battled the uh, the people against, you know, the refugees, and it's wrong. And I've said yeah. all this before. Fintan O'Toole made it. that point. As I say, I wouldn't often agree with him, but he, he, he made that point and made it very well in the Irish Times today that maybe our homeless need to be treated as refugees. Yeah, because there is a divide, and I said this at the start, that we need to handle this properly as a humanitarian uh, thing, so um, they've handled the whole lot very badly, and like there shouldn't be this divide. We do recognise that these people are fleeing war, that we do have... Uh, and you spoke about the legal thing, that we have um, a legal right to uh, put a roof over these people's heads. We have a legal right to feed them and clothe them and Mm -hmm. heat them. But, like, I don't know where the social welfare thing and the bus passes and all this, because, again, it's dividing people, because you had a, a man there on... Um, is it John was his name he was uh, he's dying he's suffering from a serious disease and he had to fight for a medical care that's right Um, and as I said it comes across very badly that like the likes of this one of our own has to fight for a medical care and like this government then we just hand them out nilly dilly to everyone and anyone coming in the man you Um, refer the man you refer to is in stage four uh, cancer in fact yes yes that's right Uh, John Ball is it uh, yeah, exactly. And, and that's not to take yeah. from the fact that, you know, looking after people, I think, is a, a very good thing. But you're saying it has there has to be fairness about it, is that? Is there that has to be mean? fairness. And I said this at the start, does not poli- make a political football out of this. And they have made a political football. Because anybody that had a house, um, they're now 400 euro, now 800 euro. Anyone that had a hotel... Um, they basically gave the two fingers to the tourism business in this country. They said, look, we know you've spent a fortune on the tourism business. We know it was a valuable thing that uh, employed an awful lot of people. And we're, giving, uh, we're putting all this effort into this and filling our hotels with this. Like, you would be guaranteed, if you were going to a top-class seminar in Dublin years ago, you would be guaranteed the City West Hotel would be the venue. So to see that downgraded to that is a real reflection mm. on the input that's put into tourism in this country, and it's an it's a real it really sums it up for me. To well, see you see, hotel. you probably could look at it two ways. You you you're saying downgraded, but other people might look at that and say, you know, that it's a triumph in terms of what we're trying to do for people here, and you know that overall it's a good thing. It's a triumph that we're tackling um, and we're dealing with the refugee situation, um, but it, 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 it's, a, it's a downturn for... You see, for instance, like Carrick and Shure, that they have only one hotel. From what I gather, every room was filled there. So well, you had well we, don't, we don't... I don't want to talk about specifics. Yeah, hours, but you, like know, you yeah. had people coming here and come here regularly uh, because they're from areas. Mm. And when they come here then on a holiday to visit their loved ones, there's no hotel space. It's given a very negative thing. So, like, as I said, if this was handled differently, there wouldn't be this divide that Trinton O'Toole is talking about. And I didn't want this. And this should have been prevented. And this should have been uh, mm. taught about when they were dealing with this, to deal with this properly. Because, as I said, we do not want this divide. These people are fleeing enough without the divide uh, between them and us. We don't want this. Right. And when we kick in on the housing side, of it, which I said shouldn't have happened, we're really um, aggravating that situation. So the government needs to think sensitively on this 
and he needs to think of it from both sides, from the Irish as well as the refugee, and there needs to be an integration uh, with both. Pat, I must leave it there, but thank you indeed for coming on with us today. Thank you and good morning to you. Uh, Somebody saying meat on a Friday was to help the fishing industry. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think it was very much a Christian uh, thing, the notion of the sacrifice of flesh for humanity and all of that, if memory serves me correct. But uh, there you go. Um, Somebody else saying, have you... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Have you tried to buy fish recently? Well, I haven't, but I believe it is very expensive, in fairness. Uh, thank you for reading out uh, my query, Fran. Is there dancing in the Temple More Arms? Every single Monday night there's dancing in the Temple More Arms, and uh, Dan and all the team up there will look after you extremely well too. Um, Joan was on to say Tullerone which is just outside of Erlingford there. They have social dancing every single Thursday night. It's in Shawnee's, isn't it? In um, uh, Tullerone there, uh, says somebody else to us. All right, lots more coming in. I'll take a break. Back in a moment. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. And you're very welcome back. Live dancing in Lockmore tonight, it says here. So there you go. We've got lots of information about dancing all over the place and fair play. Um, I'm delighted to be joined in the studio now by playwright Jim Keane, who has written a new play. It's called Big Splash, Small Fish. Good to see you, Jim. Yeah, good morning, Fran. I'm intrigued with the title anyway, no. to start. <laughs> well, there you are. <laughs> yeah, the title does uh, tend to, uh, I suppose, evoke response. Yeah. Yeah, it does, yeah. I, I, I suppose to explain where the title came from, mm. uh, it was a conversation I had with a fisherman many, many years ago. And we were standing on, on the banks of the River Shore, which is not too far from where I live. And... Um, he was fishing, I wasn't, and he was fly fishing, and I could see this big splash in the river, you know, trout obviously jump, and I said to him, geez, that must be a big trout over there. He said, no, that's a small fish, he said, making a big splash. Wow. He said, the big trout, he said, won't make a big splash at all, he said. He'll come up from underneath the water and just suck the fly down, whereas the little sprat of a, of a fish thinks he can lip up on top of the fly and flatten it so he jumps over the water but he said that's a big that's a small fish he said making a big splash so that stayed in the head I said there's a great name for a play (laughs) (laughs) what could be by the way Covid sort of held this up because this has been written for a couple of years this has been this has been written I suppose pre-Covid and honed during Covid um, but like should have been on last year but obviously due to Covid and lockdowns and you couldn't rehearse number one number two uh, you couldn't pick a date to put it on because you weren't sure you know you would be allowed the numbers in the halls uh, and it's all about getting numbers in halls. There's no of point in putting on a play for 25 people. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You've had a bit of a... We're, we're going to talk about Brew in a moment, but you've had a nice run uh, run up with this, haven't you, in Nakavilla? Yeah. yeah, we're blessed, I suppose, and, and that the Nakavilla Community Hall and the committee up there, they're, they're really very good to me. Uh, and uh, when they finished their production of Big Maggie, which was back in... Uh, was it February? Um 
I was able to have the set put up for a big splash small fish, which allowed us to rehearse with the set up, which is really very valuable. And uh, then, so we decided we would do it two nights in Nakavella. Um, last year's, another, the first play I wrote, we pioneered it in Nakavella mm. as well, and it worked really well for us. So we said we'd do the same with this one. That was the living will, was it? Yeah, it was a living yeah. will, yeah. yeah. And that was on that two, three, four, four years ago now it was pioneered. Yeah, imagine time is flying. But, we put it on last Saturday and Sunday night in Nakavella and uh, thank God we had packed houses so we were delighted with it and delighted with the response because new play, friend, you mm. never know, it's like launching a new song. Yeah. You don't know how it's going to go. You've written it and you think, yeah. wow, that's a lovely song, that'll go down well and then you launch it and you go, oops, maybe is, it didn't. Is that heart-stopping? Because, I mean, you you can do the rehearsals and you write your oh, play you and, uh, and then you present it to an audience. Yeah, and, and you wait. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean... It's particularly difficult with a comedy yeah. because as you go through rehearsals, the jokes are no longer funny because you've said them 50 times yeah, and 100 times yeah. before. Even the cast are no longer smiling at the jokes. Right. And then you, you come out on the opening night and something that you said which kind of didn't even make the cast smile, they're laughing at yeah, I know, I know. And <laughs> you. You hope. And, and you mop your <laughs> fevered brow at that, at that point, you isn't do. it great? Now, you were lucky enough, well, you well-deserved, but in packed houses, wasn't it? Yeah, we were absolutely full sold out for the two nights in, in Nakavella, the Saturday and Sunday night. And uh, again, um, because it's so close to Cashel, um, we only did two nights in Nakavella. Right. Because Cashel is a big venue, Brubaru seats 250 people. Uh, and you don't want to open the doors to 30 or 40 in Brubaru. Of course. Um, so, you know, you'd be looking for good reviews in Nakavella so that that would spill over to people saying, you know, I, I must go to I see it in Cashel. It, yeah, and that's certainly going to be the case. Yeah. It's it's Friday week, uh, Friday and Saturday Friday week, Friday and Saturday week, the 11th and 12th of November. Uh, again, on our shows in Brewbaroo start at 8 o'clock and uh, tickets are available there uh, online or 0626-1122. Um, so, yeah. Of course, and we'll give that out again in a moment. Uh, without spoiling the play for people, can you give us a, a sort of... I a... can. I can give you a hint of what it's about. Yeah. Okay, I suppose... The fact the name says Big Splash Small Fish is all about a guy who's a dreamer and a schemer, right? He hasn't either the necessary, I won't say intelligence, because he's bright in his own way, but like, yeah, he's a Walter Mitty. Mm. He comes up with schemes to make his first million and, you know, uh, he doesn't have, he, he certainly hasn't the finance to put that thing on the road, right? right? And he's, he's wacky both in his ideas and in his attire, because he likes to dress appropriately for whatever scheme that he has come up with. <laughs> and because this is set in a pub. All okay. of it is set in a pub, his local pub. So the locals knock a great deal of humour and fun out of him because he arrives in dressed in whatever if he's an artist he'll be coming in dressed like an artist, he's launching this new scheme to make his first million uh, and, and you know while as they don't laugh they, they do laugh at him I suppose yes, and yeah. they laugh with him as well uh, about his mad ideas and then he's living with his mum and his mother, a poor a misfortunate woman, he's sponging off of her. She's a widow woman, and uh, she's really getting tired of all of this. He's in his forties now, and like he should be moving on, but he hasn't moved anywhere. Do you know what I can't help but think? We all know fellas. <laughs> we all know fellas like this. <laughs> There's one in every pub in There's Ireland. I guarantee you, yeah, yeah. he's probably the lad at the bar that you know drinking the pint that would tell you how to make the first million yes. in music. Yeah, yeah. How you should be running. Your business. Correct. And can <laughs> sing an <and> ode. <laughs> 
Oh, God, I can think of so many of them at the moment. <laughs> what about the cast, Jim? And what about uh, yeah, casting we, we have, sort of like this? We have most of the cast that we had in A Living Will. Like mm. we have the girl who plays the owner of the bar, Brido O'Brien, uh, Ashley Maloney. She played Pat the Post in, 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 uh, in A Living Will. Uh, Brian Cullen, who was a, a county councillor, that's Michael Lonergan. He played the, the, the vicious husband in A Living Will. John Joe Whelan, uh, who is a widower, is Bobby Russell. And he played uh, Return, a Yank, uh, 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 an Irishman exiled to America and coming back. Mm-hmm. Seamus Moore then is the sham. He's new with us. And that's Sean Carroll. Sean is from Dundrum. Uh, he was with Nakavella uh, with, with their production of Big Maggie. Peggy Moorden, who is the Sham's mother, is Lisa McGrath and Lisa was the, the hard-gotten wife in A, a Living Will. Tina Conway then, and she is new to our group as well. That's Mairead Fogarty Carew. She's from, she's living in Nakavella, but originally from Golden, from mm-hmm. Mantle Hill in Golden. And uh, she's married to her husband, Tim Conway. Uh, and uh, Tim is the, an accountant working for the councillor who has a haulage business. And Tim is playing by uh, John Cash. John uh, was uh, an, uh, the uncle in A Living Will. Mm-hmm. Joan Morriston, that's Breda's sister, that's Lisa Shanahan, and she was uh, a solicitor in A Living Will. So there's two newcomers and the rest of the cast in, those two other two are new to the group, and I have to say, we are blessed with them. They are Isn't super great, performers. Uh, Isn't yeah. it great? Because so, I would imagine a lot of areas find it hard to, to cast a play well, and, and have that sort of talent available yeah, to you know, them, Jim. What they say about plays or films is that, you know, half the production is in the casting. Yeah, isn't it just yeah. absolutely? And I know there's a huge amount of people backstage who, who of make course, sure there is. Yeah, there's a pile of them. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I won't yeah. even mention them now because I leave out half of them. <laughs> There'd be a row indeed. There will um, be a row and, and a walkout. There, there's a raffle as well, and, they, and it's for a very good cause, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Look, in our own family, uh, we we had uh, um, I suppose uh, uh, cause to know uh, about the hospice movement, and uh, we're going to give the raffle on both nights to South Tipperary Hospice, uh, and most deserving uh, cause uh, and I'm sure there's very few families in, 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 in the county or country who haven't been touched by Absolutely, cancer yes. uh, at some at some part of their lives yeah. Um, and yeah so we're going to have a raffle on the two nights and we'll give the proceeds, entire proceeds of the raffle will go to the hospice Right, very good indeed. Do you miss not just sort of treading the board yourself? I do I yeah. do, Fran. Yeah, I do. And I suppose that's the problem when you kind of get into the writing of plays and directing of plays. It's almost like you, you've got into a little rut that is difficult to get back out of. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Uh, I have said that uh, I'm going to take a little break maybe from directing next year and maybe look at doing a part somewhere. But then again, you see, the older you get, there's less parts there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't I know? Don't I know? Do, do you know, just before I let you go, because I'm just about out of time as usual, um, but what I'd love to know is, you write a play at home in, in, yeah. at night or whatever. Is the play that we will see in Brew Brew, is that what you imagined it to be? Or does it is it organic in some way? Does it? Well, the peculiar thing about writing a play or write about writing anything is you have the idea, you have the, you have the main, I suppose, storyline of the play. And then you build the characters. And then you write for the characters. But the characters oftentimes dictate what you're writing right? because they take on a life of their own in your head. Right. These lunatics are running around in my head. 
that's very worrying, Jim. <laughs> worrying. Brew Brew on the 11th and the 12th in Cashel, kicking off their curtains at uh, 8 o'clock. 0626-1122 for your booking, or indeed you can book online, and that's brewbrew.ie. Jim, it's always a pleasure. Thanks very Listen, much. Listen, Fran, thank, thank you very much indeed for giving me the time this morning. Welcome anytime. Um, that's it for me. Ali produced Stevens on the way with the time tunnel, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.